live we are actually live welcome back to the bitcoin podcast live. Um, that's right coming at you i don't know usually we have some like uh cut-ins but i don't know if we're having that this time so it's always just do an intro do it like an intro to roundtables we no longer play the intros <laughs> we, are, we no longer play intros we are no Every longer episode will be different for the rest of this podcast Absolutely. and that's the way we actually like it so <laughs> you gotta you gotta tune in to find out it's like opening a kinder egg baby you don't know what you're gonna get kinder egg yeah and that what they're called from german yeah, they're kinders yeah what are you talking about chocolate eggs little chocolate egg kinders funny. yeah yeah. You bust them open and they got either candy or toys in them. You never know what you're going to get, but it's always a treat. Yes. I yes. always put like a fraction of those with the rocks just to like, sometimes oh. you get a dud. You know, like the Wonder Ball? That was like the American version of the Kinder Egg. Wonder right? Ball. Yeah. So right. cool story. Governments disallowed Kinder Balls. I think it was Kinder Balls allowed in the U.S., right? It was like some sort of strange import that was not allowed. So then in the U.S., we had Wonder Balls and we did not have Kinder Balls. I think this has been a recent change in like the last decade when we could get Kinder Balls. I remember seeing stories of like choking hazards for little kids from those things. What what show is this? This is uh, the Bitcoin podcast. I said it, right? Did I say it? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, what's your what's what's uh, uh, gracing your ears right now and just flowing over your spirit like a cool spring breeze in a nice field of dandelions is the Bitcoin podcast. And I'm the host that talks first. D. I am the host that talks second. Dr. Corey Petty coming at you. And I'm the host that talks third. Jesse Broke. How it is so good to be reunited again, fellas. We're like Voltron, but two lines short. You know what I mean? Yeah. What other lines would you have? Uh, Why are you? I quite obviously would be the black line because of reasons. Corey, you'd be the red line because your heart is dark. That's true. That's absolutely right. Your and your soul is very broody. So of course you'd be the black line. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, and Corey, you would be the red line. Uh, green line. Red green line? line? I don't know. Is there a green line? Well, there is a green line. Mm. I'll take red for obvious reasons. Okay. And then... Dude, I, I, Voltron is like decades before I was born. Yeah, you're well, like 13. I mean, so, it was, yeah. It was, de- <laughs> it was decades before I was born, dude. <laughs> uh, I think that... I do think that... Ooh, headshot. 
I do <laughs> think Jesse would be the orange lion. Uh, because he's wearing orange right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because he cooks orange chicken. Wow. You said that you've cooked orange chicken. With <laughs> I have never said that, Corey. Yeah, totally I have never have. said that. I'm going to go look at the Slack. Oh, this is such a moment. You better find that. You better you better, right. you better pay for premium Slack so you can search all the comments. Well, today we're canceled, so that's fine. <laughs> We've just been canceled on. Totally accident by Corey. <laughs> oh, boy. What's wrong with making orange chicken? I'm just kidding. I'm just giving you shit. No? No, I'm playing. No. I think he had. Yeah. I think I did it once. Yeah. Just the the used the sesame seeds in his food does not be saved by the. I mean, they're saved or ruined by the the only 10,000 messages in Slack. I think you just spoke your glass ceiling into existence, my friend. I think that's that's it. Okay, so we're the Bitcoin podcast. We talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Uh, You know, you're going to be a fan. And as you become a fan, you're going to see that we talk about all kinds of things. Uh, I don't know. Today, though, the number one thing on the agenda, and I say agenda in quotes, is uh, do we have to do this? Do we have to talk about Dogecoin? That's what I see here. I feel like we don't have to. I feel like <laughs> here's what we'll say. Eight days ago, Dogecoin 420 was supposed to be a thing. Everybody who held Doge was like, oh, I'm going to be a super duper millionaire. I hate that I'm talking about. OK, let me just set the record straight. Doge is a waste of your time. It's hard to say that given this year's proceedings, but I'm willing to put my neck out on the line like this. That not a whole lot of you Doge holders actually sold. I think a, probably a large percentage of you did forgot you had it. And then by the time you got to it and found the random dusty wallet, you were like, oh, shit. I think a lot of you were Robin Hood people who did not even actually own Doge. You just own numbers on a screen and then sold and either did or did not get your money. And then the rest of you are believing that Doge is going to be a formidable currency or monetary system somehow. And I would like all of you to know that you're wrong. You will Mm -hmm. be wrong. You'll be wrong forever. And you can be as mad at me as you like because you don't make good decisions. And I'm telling you that to your face. I found a random like $3,000 worth of Doge the other day and like a whole wallet. Like an old, really old wallet. Do you find things, Corey? Or do you just yeah, have a spreadsheet had, and you just kind of like scroll through? I have through. gone through <laughs> so many wallets. It's absurd uh, through the years. Because we, we used to, I used to try everything. I still do try everything. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I have like a lot of seeds. And I, I have a lot of computers and a lot of backups. <laughs> so it's, sometimes I do a, like a, I check my spreadsheet, look to see what I got. Think about a case. And be like, oh, there's an old system there. I'm going to go sort through it see if i find some old stuff find some old stuff sometimes and there it is i mean anything i find from this point like my my counting isn't bad enough that like i'm gonna stumble upon a couple bitcoin it's like i don't know i've play around stuff that ends up making money that's how the story goes That's how, a lot of people, that's how a lot of people in this industry got rich. They're like, oh yeah, I did that for like a weekend once. And they find that old hard drive because they're because they're hoarders and they kept their old laptop in their in their in, the, in, a, in a box in their closet for 10 years. That and could be the crypto slogan, baby. Play around with stuff, make some money. Yeah. That's a good motto. It's not bad. 
Jesse, what do you think about that? I mean, I I just uh, there are there are airdrops in my Ethereum <laughs> addresses that I have not touched yet, and I don't even know what else is on there. I have I'm just not going to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're hoping to find some treasure one day? I mean, there already is treasure, but like maybe more treasure will pop up. You know, yeah, it's treasure, the treasure that may like rot and turn to shit real soon. That's probably true. Yeah. For those of you listening that don't know what an airdrop is, we tried to explain it pretty thoroughly in one of the interviews we had recently. Um, but essentially, it's just like, you know, someone makes a token and wow, good time. Jesus Christ, good timing. Someone makes a token and they want to most of the time want to incentivize people to use the token or hold the token because they want later functionality of something they want to do with this later, token later for their community yeah later functionality <laughs> exactly that's that's usually it the later functionality they want to usually, use this later yeah, money, money that they want to rain off of a tree and you know what quite frankly it works a lot like harvesting plant those seeds watch that shit grow and then like a year and a half later you got mangoes falling baby mad mangoes for 18 years you got no sorry mango trees last 200 years don't ask me how i know this but i do you got for 18 months right up you let the tree grow and then 200 years of mangoes baby falling right and that's what that's what they do so later in these airdrops they're like okay if you held there's all kinds of parameters they could say if you did this much trading in and out with this token if you own x amount of ethereum plus x amount of this token plus y amount of this token if you sent this token to that address and then you can kind of see where i'm saying there as long as the conditions are outlined and they're fulfilled then you will get a certain amount of uh this token dropped into your wallet mystically by the creators of the token uh and the proportion the amount that you get is proportional to the activity, the amount of activity they wanted you to do, typically. Depends on what they do. Also, exactly. Uh, they don't really do... So, can you call modern? Modern airdrops don't really uh, place tokens in people's accounts anymore. That's something that used to happen because it used to be cheap enough to do it. Now, the fees associated with moving tokens is so high that it would be so expensive to airdrop mm -hmm. and push the token to people's address automatically. Uh, so what you do instead is you make people prove they perform some certain activity. Uh, more often than not, they could say that that proof is just I own this address that did activity in the past based on some blockchain data. Uh, like, for instance, the Uniswap. One was like, hey, I own this address that used Uniswap a long time ago for Uniswap. doing certain things. Like, okay, if you can prove you have that address, then we'll give you tokens. Mm -hmm. And they're basically claiming. So you're paying for the gas fees of getting the tokens so that they are not doing it in the process of distributing their token. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, it, it maximizes the number of people who uh, are... Yeah, it maximizes the number of people who will be using the tokens that get redeemed. Because if you just push it into people's accounts, you have a lot of people like Jesse, most of them, who are never going to touch it. Mm -hmm. Amy, I touched Stellar Lumens. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I did the Keybase. That was Keybase, wasn't it? I mean, I got mine from Binance.com before. Oh, I got I got Stellar Lumens from Keybase. Mm. Then I got uh, BitTorrent from Tron. Mm, look at you. <laughs> 
I don't think I have any BitTorrent. I don't have any BitTorrent or Stella Lumens. I kind of X'd out on Stella Lumens. There's so many cards that I just like passed on. So it is what it is. Hmm. But that's what it is. I don't really sell mine. Yeah, that's an airdrop. Uh, I had an amazing idea. Listen to this idea. Are you ready for this idea, gentlemen? When we make a token, yes, this is a bidet thought. When we make a token or some sort of crypto thing that is inevitable at this point, will it come this year? No. Will it come in 2025? Maybe. Uh, it come this year. You know we just know. we just move slow. I got, some, move, I got some ideas up here that I'm playing around with. We move slow. We move right. But what we should do is create a unity of drops. The first unity. air. Yeah. The first air. The second water. Fire. Earth. Wind. And heart drops. And then we have like a unified. We have a whole drop system schema based on based on uh, the planet. Yes. Hundred percent. Dibs on not being heart guy. Yeah, that's definitely going to be you, Alicia. It's like, uh, <laughs> do you, if you collect them all, you get Captain Planet or some shit? <laughs> NFTs. I don't know. If you get all the airdrops, you get. Uh, I kind of want to do some silly game with our you, audience. You can be a TB members with NFTs or stuff like that to see what people actually do it. A TB peer, like Planeteer, but TB like, peer. If you get all of them, TB peer. I like that. Is that your? Is that the community like a, a community member? The TB peer. Here, yeah. Because remember in the song it'd be like we're we are planeteers. You can be one too, which TV is peers. complete bullshit. Because you know those kids were like, "Yo, let me get a ring," and they were like, "Oh, we got nah, five. Be like we only have five. <laughs> and they're like, "Well, then I'm not a planeteer, and you are." And the no, but like, then they said at the end that you could pick up trash and you could be a planeteer too. Saving okay, cool. Plan- yeah. yeah like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pick up this bag. I'm gonna throw it in the trash can, and you give me a ring because I want to. I want to summon Captain Planet too. Yeah, like, I can have okay. special powers. Yeah, no, but you can pick up trash if you want. <laughs> Sorry, this is this is this is never getting back on the rails. This one's so far off the rails. Anyways, <laughs> I would like I would like people to submit ideas about games we could play on how you become a TV peer. Yeah, it's like. It's like, it's like, I don't know, act, different activities that get you different things. And then once you get them all, you become a TV peer. <laughs> yeah. And you get a little ring and you can summon NFTs. No rings. Play Mikachi does. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, such a Funyuns. That'd be so funny. Funyuns. Please, community, make this real for us. Make this real so we could have like a unity of drops. Because airdrop is just so one-dimensional. Water drops, fire drops. You know what I mean? Fire drops is definitely the rap community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the rap community to take take need to take a hold of that name for NFTs yeah. and start releasing fire drops. I'm dropping that fire. Boom. Done. <laughs> Jeez. This the possibilities are endless in crypto. So uh, I, there's something I'd like to talk about personally, which I've reignited the curiosity of crypto. In myself for a while when you like i've seen it all then you start to think thoughts of like well what the fuck like i might as well just let this stuff make money for me and just sit around and watch but that's boring so i've been doing some reading about some different things and crypto's gotten pretty cool since i like stopped 
caring about the tidal wave of new shit that is ending. Listen to old episodes to see like what we were talking about and then compare that to like the news of the new the newses of today. We will, sir. <laughs> will it be premium content? You cut damn right it will. Be. <laughs> That's your call. That's your your one of your ideas. All right. Yeah, man. We're gonna listen to fun. old versions of ourselves. It's so meta. And we're gonna make comments on what the fuck we were talking about then and how relevant or irrelevant it is now. And yes, it will be premium content. Sorry, I'm not sorry. You'll Can pay be drunk. Those are those are certainly drunk episodes. Yeah, I'm not sorry at all. You will pay for it. Uh so <laughs> so now coming back to where we were. I found this thing <laughs> called BitClout, and I'm excited. Did you not? I showed you this, right? Well, your Twitter showed me this. Okay, so cool. A, ver- a version of you <laughs> showed this to me. Well, let's get quantum, Corey. A version of you in the past showed this to me. Uh, what do you mean? Why are you shaking your head? That's quantum as fuck. Mm-mm. Is it not quantum know. when I read the memories of my Facebook post from 12 years ago? I'm like reading a version of me. No, that's not how that works. It's not taking timestamps of okay. Sorry, let's keep going. I don't, I'm upsetting you. I could see you <laughs> getting physically upset. Okay, so typing to somebody else now. I've stopped paying attention. I saw. Yeah, he was like, he said, "Quantum." I'm tuned out. Um, Quantum Leap was a great show in the '80s, by the way. Uh, so, <laughs> so what was I talking about? BitCloud. It's this awesome website where it feels like social networking, but, but crypto's involved. Now I understand this has been done in the past. This has been done with, um, what was that website we were on with the very first version of this? Remember Corey, it's called like zap, the zap network. And I got really high. Zapper. Was it zapper? I think it was zapper. And like, you put your Bitcoin wallet, you could even connect Coinbase to Mm, it. That was way ahead of its time. It was so far ahead of its time. And I was like, we're going to, this is going to be our community that we own. Some of us, I think Alicia probably was a member of that community, like with us. And, you know, we still holding. Dang, she's holding zapper probably. Zapper? Doge. Doge. Oh, that was Doge. Okay. Well, no, Zapper is a DeFi dashboard now, so I don't think that's what it is. It was, I think it was called the Zap Network or something. But nevertheless, it's a social network. BitClout is a social network where you basically like people bet on the value of you as a social person, as an influencer. Um, and it's got the form and feel of Twitter. Um, but everything costs BitClout to do. Uh, so it's really interesting. And like the more people that follow you, the more coins of you that are minted and the more valuable they become as well. Is that how that works? I'm pretty sure because, uh, well, I think Alicia's putting Joanne the scammer up there because a lot of people do think that it is a scam. I read a lot of those articles, um, because you do send Bitcoin to it. You got to trade Bitcoin. Yeah. You got to buy BitClout with Bitcoin to get started. So I guess they're using influencers or people of influence from social networks like Twitter, basically, mm-hmm. and basically airdropping their coins. This is appropriate. Uh, it's kind of like an airdrop because like I signed on and it basically said, you know, here's your here's your private keys. Save your seed. Good deal. This gets generated inside of the, uh, your, your browser and stuff. And it's like, all right, well, edit your profile. And 
when you edit your profile, you pick a name. And I pick, I pick my Twitter name because that's my name for pretty much everything. And so this has already been taken. I was like, oh, who the hell is squatting on my name? So I went to go look at it and it was me. They just ported my Twitter account over. <laughs> oh shit, bro. You got clout. And then, and then I just, I basically, that's why you saw my Twitter. I made an attestation by tweeting that I owned and basically owned that thing with my public key from, from BitClout. And they transferred that account over to mine. And so now I have, let's see, I don't know how my BitClout, BitClout price is $157 per coin. Damn, bro. I'm only 20, I'm only at 25 to $24.15. You're expensive. Your tokens are pricey. Look at you. No, that's the BitCloud price itself. But if I go to, I don't know, that's, that's no. BitCloud price. BitCloud price, price is the, is, uh, okay. BitCloud is, I'm looking right now. <laughs> Hold up. And, uh, so mine is 214 then. My my coin price is 214. Elon Musk's coin price is 114. Elon highest, Musk's gator coin no, his coin price is his no. coin price is sixty one thousand dollars. His coin price is sixty one thousand. No, no, the coin 000. price, not the not the. Wait, let me go back again. Bit clouts are worth like two hundred dollars each, or one hundred and fifty seven dollars each. But Elon Musk has sixteen thousand followers. He's got three hundred and sixty point oh, yeah, five yeah. coins in circulation. That the total U.S. Right, dollars right. locked is seven point eight million. And his USD market cap is twenty two point one four. Okay, so the reason why he has this part, this is this is artificial, because, I mean, what they did it looks like is they took a certain amount of people of influence in the cryptocurrency community from Twitter, and they pre made their accounts, mm-hmm. and it looks like, uh, based on those accounts, people who had gotten into the platform earlier bought those coins of people they think are influencers so that in the event that Elon Musk joins and starts using BitCloud, there's already basically a market for his coin. And the fact that people have already done this may incentivize him to join because it's basically free money for free doing money the same thing him. you would be doing on Twitter. Yeah. Free money for him. That's, That's the way what- I see this. I watched an hour long video on this by a gentleman named startup bro. Um, <laughs> 2021 is such a strange lifetime to live in. A gentleman named Startup Bro educated me that there are millions and millions and millions with the dollars waiting on twi- crypto Twitter and general Twitter influencers on BitClout already. Like all what does that mean? Do- well, like for example, like you just said with Elon Musk, is he's got this 22.47 dollar. Um, $22.147 million market cap. He, Elon Musk, as soon as he verifies this, has 43 of his own tokens worth $2.64 million. He could sell off those tokens. He'd get $2.64 million in Bitcoin. Just, it's his. So I can sell my tokens right now and make money. Yeah, hold up. Let me see. I don't see a sell. I don't see a sell. Hold Maybe up. you can't I, sell. I sell <laughs> you can only because, buy. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, you go to your wallet, right? And then I was just in here earlier. Uh, let me see here. How did I get sell. to it? How I did I get to this? I got. There we go. I have Fergalotti coins and I have Merlin coins, right? When Oh, shit. I just did this shit earlier. Buy creator coins? I got nothing, bro. 
there I don't we have go. My own coins. Click on the yeah, you do. Click on the sell button. Okay, I see it. You see it's it? Sell button. You see? The, all right. So do you see in your wall? You see creator coins. Yeah. And you I see, see name creator you see coins. coins that you have. Okay. Now, right next to the dollar sign with the approximate deal, there's an arrow going to the right and the left. Mm-mm. Click on that arrow. I don't have that. I don't have that option. If I show my screen, hold on, let me try something here. I got you. I got you. you. Got got you. Buy, sell. Buy, sell. All right. Warning. Use, yes. I have 10 supporters who own my coin. If I sell, they'll be notified. Yeah. So it just means that you're selling your own token. But it's kind of like in RL, sorry, in real life, when, you know, when people catch a win that Netflix's CFO is selling 80% of his shares of Netflix, they're going to flip the fuck out, right? I'm selling of myself, right? Yeah, but why? They've invested in you as a creator on this platform. Why are you selling your own stuff? Are you leaving the platform? Are you done with BitCloud? Are you, you just issue news saying you're testing liquidity? Yes. <laughs> My current USD value that I own is a 1.52 thousand. I'm about to fuck those people who are following me. <laughs> I'm, going on, I'm going to Vegas, baby. <laughs> with Corey Coin. I'm going. <laughs> but it's pretty neat. I, I found it. It's really neat. I want to try to create a create a little clout, if you will, on BitCloud for myself and the podcast. Maybe the podcast should have a BitCloud account. Doesn't take very much. Like we should see how this works. And BTC podcast. Well, we're not verified on Twitter for some unknown. Don't need to be ver- don't need, I'm not verified on Twitter. Don't need to be verified. Uh, the, well, the, we, the, the choice of people that they picked was arbitrary. Oh, really? Yeah, this doesn't look like it's taken. Yeah, BTC podcast isn't on there, I don't think. But, you know, it seems really cool to me that you can invest in someone as an influencer or creator or whatever and see how popular they're getting. The more popular they get, the more literally valuable they are. There's a lot of schemes that I think are probably going to borrow this model. It's kind of cool to me because a lot of people in the past, basketball players, football players, influencers, have tried to sell stock of themselves. And nobody really knows what that means right there was a running back in the nfl by the name of arian foster aaron foster he's a run one year he got mvp he played for the houston texans and the next year instead of taking a salary he was like you know what forget it i'm just gonna sell shares of my own success in the nfl shares of myself and let the public he made himself a publicly owned company now shortly after he tore his acl and went to shit and everybody (laughs) (laughs) but but I don't know if he tore his ACL, but nevertheless, something happened to him, and uh, and his stock went to shit. So it's it's nice that people are trying these. I don't really know what's behind the scenes a bit clout, but it's an interesting schema. I don't know, Jesse. Are you gonna get a bit clout account? Mm, probably you should not. get a big cloud account and you should journal your studying prowess as you get to the MCAT and then just just journal your entire like journey from engineer to med student to doctor and get bit clout with that. I don't know what that, that means. It's like day one, I'm studying. Day yeah. two, I'm still studying. Yeah. <laughs> day three. 
I'm tired of typing that I'm studying. Yeah, it's studying. Taking, <laughs> taking me away from studying. Yeah, but juice it up, baby. Juice it up. Say like today, studying the uh, molecular composition of ligaments. Boom, mm. baby. Get okay. get get on my level. Day five, studying the uh, chemical reactions of sucrose to brucrose. <laughs> Day six. You're close. You're so studying, close. <laughs> studying electricity, baby. Out here doing it. People really do this, huh? Like they really like hustle on social media. Me, man. If people can make tens of thousands of dollars a month eating food in a microphone. But listen, but you, that sir, sounds fun. Like <laughs> Yeah, so you gotta juice it, baby. You gotta juice them, throw some pictures up on there. When you're studying anatomy, definitely throw some. Oh no, we're gonna up. create a monster. <laughs> Just that's what D was full full social media shill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you could by the time you become a doctor, you'll be a, a bit you'll have so much bit clout. Yeah, that you could run a private practice. You could skip so residency, baby. Buying bit clout. <laughs> this is not, by the way, a, you don't know anything <laughs> about bit clout. Like five months. Yeah. It's just like just like uh UBI, UBI coin. Circles. Yeah. That didn't Circle. work. Um this is a uh, you what know do you do with BitCloud though like what is what's the actual token for? Well, uh, that's a question that I can't seem to find an answer to. That's always good. That's always good to not have an idea on what so, the name of the major <laughs> token does. So, so I think you use BitCloud to buy creator coins. But what do you do with the creator coin? See, this is it's a never ending loop of questions with the stuff like this. It's got what plants crave. <laughs> it's got what plants. So here's the here's the the funniest part of the video I watched from Startup Bro was this. It was so you take your USD and then you buy Bitcoin and then you take your Bitcoin and you buy BitClout and you take your BitClout and you buy creator coins. That but sounds what do like you do with the creator coins? You own them. You own them. So it looks like it looks like you can pay with BitCloud to message people that otherwise you might not have access to. Potentially. Oh, that's so like if I want to talk to Elon Musk, I can spend like a thousand. You gotta have enough clout to talk to Elon Musk. Potentially. There's know. a lot of things that are like that. I mean, it's once you have tokens that are associated with your, I don't know, influencer market, that's pretty much what it is. You access. can then leverage that for access. Hmm. How do you grow your beard so full, man? What are you putting in there? Oils? Me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just the G. What are you using? You using fish oil? I barely even take showers. Why would I even put in my? Oh, I, don't, <laughs> like, I don't. I don't wash my face. I don't. I, do people like my, my wife washes her face with fourteen yeah. things? I don't even. I barely put water on my face in the shower. Two times a day in the morning. Soap, soap doesn't sleep. touch my face, period. Unless wow. like some shampoo gets in it. <laughs> wow. He's au natural. Interesting. You're straight caveman status out here, aren't I you? Yes. I, mean, I got some good looking skin. I mean, look at this guy. Look at him checking himself out. You see him? <laughs> give, give him one compliment. And he's, he's just, just loving himself. No, fabulous. It is a nice beard. It is a very nice beard. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, what was it? There's some talking points we should probably get to. We're getting or we could tell me about the interviews because I didn't get to be on either one of them. 
So there's we're two talking about this because the Negro Domus strikes again. And let right. me take you to this because I, I think at this point, you guys are just like, he just likes to say when he's right. You know, he doesn't care about all the times he's wrong. And let me tell you something. I'm not fucking wrong ever. All right. So no I'm kidding. I'm wrong a lot. But in a lot of big cases, I'm right a lot. So I years ago said the only natural convergence that's going to happen is that Bitcoin's consumption of energy is going to spark the emergence of a clean energy revolution, baby. It's going to be an industrial revolution 5.0 in this bitch. Because the reason I said that is this, is when you have a system that becomes so awesome and then so used by so many people and then actually becomes valuable to society, society will change for the system and not the only, not the other way around. For example, the automobile, right? Everybody is, oh, this is a piece of crap. This thing, it's big, it's clunky, it's killing people. You got to put all this, what is this gas? You got to crank it up. What is this? What is this machine? And now all of a sudden life revolves around the automobile. It does in many countries. Crypto will be no different. Uh, we aren't just going to use all this non-renewable energy uh, just for to, to turn energy into money. No, we're going to say, OK, if we could turn energy into money, we're going to turn that beautiful, juicy, free energy into money, baby. We're going to take that sun juice and we're going to turn it into Bitcoin, baby. That's what's going to happen. And that's what started happening. You know, I started happening. I got a little article here, not an article here. Uh, Square makes the case. For clean energy Bitcoin, the new white paper financial services company Square has outlined an opportunity presented by Bitcoin to spur more use of renewable energy. I'm not going to read the article because that's boring to do on a show. You can read the article. Hopefully we post it. Maybe we don't. Maybe we will. It's 2021. Just Google it. You know, if you care that much, which you should, is that Bitcoin's use of energy is going to put us in a box to where it's like, okay, we figure this renewable shit out or... We just keep soaking up all this energy trying to make money. I put in the comments. What? I put the 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 article in the comments. Oh yeah, here it is too. For you to act like it's 1997 and type out every. You can type it in. You can type it in. Raise your hand if you had a journal full of all the websites that you like to visit and you had to write them down because web browsers didn't remember the links. So you just wrote HTTP colon slash slash www.ign.com slash. <laughs> oh, just memorize it. IGN. Yeah, you weren't. He's I think this young. Was just a he little bit before that. Jesse, this is. I mean, I was I was using the Internet when we were in dial up. Nah, you weren't. Yeah, I was. <laughs> what were you using? What was the browser? Uh, Netscape. All right, this was. He was. So what was the Netscape browser? Was Navigator. it Prodigy? Was it Prodigy? Was the browser where you had to like it did not remember? I don't remember. Doesn't matter sure because I don't remember Prodigy. anything. So I'm not the person to be asking these things. What are you doing to yourself? Don't remember anything. Don't take showers. Wipe your face with dirt. What are you? What's going on here? I'm with. I'm changing the game. <laughs> I don't even really eat, really. I just no, breathe I air. I hold air in my lungs. And that's how I eat. Um, I'm going to do a prediction, D. I think this is, I've already Ooh, said this before. I love those. But 
I think that the price discrepancy between used Bitcoin and really like new, newly minted and uh, harvested using like, you know, green energy is going to become obvious. You're going to have to end up paying, you know, way more for like Why? freshly minted because ethics community uh, committees of funds from countries want that. Well, so they'll say they'll only want Bitcoin that was mined via, uh, via solar panels in California. Yeah, yeah, but mixers will just blur that line really well. Yeah, but that, that I mean, you can see when the Bitcoin was minted. So you can just be like, they, they, they will have that's like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like mixers help obfuscate or it's called, it's called t- like to keep you from doing what's called taint analysis for mm-hmm. the provenance of a given Bitcoin. So it's hard to see where it came from. I knew that face was coming from D. Why can't you just see like it's, it's in block, you know, say 136,531 and there's only like one point. Because that's not how UTXOs work. Oh. Uh... UTXOs are burned. The, the entire UTXO is burned and then a new one is recreated. And in that process of accounting, mm-hmm. the number of Bitcoins stays the same, but where they're allocated isn't. But like technically speaking, new uh, Bitcoin is burned every block and reminted every block based on uh, how the UTXOs are shuffled around. So if they, if they put that Bitcoin that was farmed into an offline, well, like, like that, that Bitcoin... It, yeah, but like you can, but yeah. if someone wants to get rid of their, so I, I guess what you're saying is in order for it to be valuable, you need to be able to trace it still. Yeah. So you going, so you it, can still you do can that because that's what it. makes it valuable. Uh, the other way around is saying um, it's, 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 it's the, the line gets blurred when you say this didn't come from non-renewable sources. Because you can use a mixer to deobfuscate, like to obfuscate that kind of. Yeah, but uh, maybe they're just going to be like, all right, if it's obfuscated, the path to where it came from, then Then it doesn't count. Yeah, it's out. (laughs) We're not going to buy it. So, like, if you're talking about people banning or censoring specific types of bitcoins based on when it was made, they're not going to censor. They're just going to be. It's going to be like worth like normal people bitcoin. You already have. You already have. uh, I think a noticeable premium on newly mined bitcoin so bitcoin that's come from miners and not been passed around mm-hmm. so like there, there are novelty bitcoins if you're able to if you're able to um basically prove the provenance of where it was where it was minted or where it stayed uh and i think you're right that it's going to be it's going to be exacerbated i wonder how much more the price the premium is going to be is going to be like 400 percent more than normal people used bitcoin or is it going to be like 200 percent I don't think it's even going to be a hundred percent. Fifteen to twenty. Would you pay a premium on Bitcoin? No. You Jesse, would you pay a premium on? Bitcoin? No, I wouldn't. But countries would. Fungibility means that I don't give a shit which one I have. Countries would. Though. But wouldn't that mean that would make Bitcoin non-fungible then? Right? Wouldn't it? If no, it's still other- fungible. That you can see it's still usable as Bitcoin. Like any service who's not checking for that thing still can accept it as Bitcoin. Dude, what if colored Bitcoins made it all the way swing back around in popularity? That'd be fucking wild. Somebody out there still holding on to like blue Bitcoins, and they're like, one day, <laughs> one day, humanity <laughs> will find a purpose for my colored Bitcoins. <laughs> That's me with like garlic coin. Yeah. (laughs) One day the memes will come back strong enough. One day the country (laughs) of Italy will make such a strong push in their recipe deliverance that garlic coin 
It's a lot of garlic in Italian food. I'm just saying. That's not a racist thing. It's just truth. Um, so anyways, you know me. I like being right about things. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, I wanted to push back on that. I forgot. Um, why do you think that Bitcoin is sparking the renewable energy revolution? What percentage of influence do you think Bitcoin has on the development of renewable energy resources? Right now, less than 1%. In 10 years, 10%. In 20 years, 15%. I think I think there's like anybody who wants yeah. to be on the US's yeah. side in terms of not because like people are saying like most of the Bitcoin is mined in China, right? And, it, and you can see that it probably largely is. The people, the countries, rather, the ethics communities in countries that want to maintain good U.S. relations are going to be the ones who pay the premium because they don't want to participate in Chinese uh, mined Bitcoin. I'm not convinced that proof of work is going to be like the major market cap of, of crypto in 10 years. Like Most of the coins in circulation that have value will not be minted off proof of work. So even if you have like a decent chunk, say Bitcoin maintains like 25 to 30% dominance mm. over the market, then and, and, well, Ethereum is obviously moving to proof of stake. And so you're going to have only one main proof of work coin and a sea of proof of stake coins uh, in terms of the total market cap of all the crypto. So why... Do you think that the demand for renewable energy resources on a single capped asset that isn't growing in dominance was spark a like a renewable energy source? I think that like as renewable energy renewable energy resources get more and more available and more efficient, they will be used for energy production and proof of work coins. I think dominance is aging and almost it's going to be an antiquated metric soon. That's what I mean, because it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, who cares? But there needs to be a new metric that can measure Bitcoin penetration. How do you do that? I don't know. What does I, it even mean? I don't get paid to figure that out. Is this a sexual I, joke? No, it, it could be. You know, you got to... <laughs> the, the only way to find the true Bitcoin penetration is to do a taint analysis. But uh, if you... <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Jesse, you're going to be such a good professional. You don't laugh at any of this dumb shit. No, so, I do. Internally. Just, just, internally. He's, internally. <laughs> he's like, hmm, hmm. yes, taint analysis, yes. Um, but anyways, uh, I don't, the, what, I, what I'm saying by that is that now that these pegs exist and these side chains and all this random shit exists, like how do we know that one person's random Bitcoin isn't just stuck up on Bitcoin. Yeah, it's there, but isn't pegged to like Tron somehow through some random peg or fucking swap or so any type whatever's of, going any on. Any type of, uh, anytime you take the availability to move value away from the main chain, the chain in which it's derived, like the chain in which it lives, uh, you do something to it. You can't, you like, you're not going to be able to derive value from Bitcoin you hold on the Bitcoin blockchain in a regular address. Because say that in uh, Saturday morning cartoon, please. 
you're gonna get the rug you're gonna get your rug pulled if you do that because someone could just move the bitcoin so whatever value you have elsewhere is gone so like it needs to be locked up you gotta lock your bitcoin up to use it somewhere else yeah so like what i'm saying is like does it like wrapped bitcoin yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that mean I'm wrapping my Bitcoin in some ether juice so I can use it like it's Ethereum? You're locking it in a specific type of Bitcoin address that has accounting with it so that it can't just be arbitrarily moved. You're basically putting it in a bank and then some contract on the Ethereum address checks that bank account and says, all right, wrap, mint some new wrapped Bitcoin. Yes. Now those are controlled by multi-sigs so that they're more distributed than a bank. Or decentralized than a bank, but it's still trusting somebody to not spin that Bitcoin because Bitcoin doesn't have smart contracts that can automatically do it. They need to have some type of multi-sig situation where you're just distributing that trust over humans. Okay. So then does a does a metric that measures how much Bitcoin is locked up in those kind of contracts make sense? That'd be that'd be a really interesting thing to watch. I'd like to see that. Because as time as as time goes on and Bitcoin moves slow, I can only presume that a lot more Bitcoin is going to get locked up in those types of contracts, so it can be more functional. You're going to like not with ever. So as Bitcoin becomes better, assuming they implement the new technology stuff in yeah. the protocol, um, the Bitcoin that's locked up in these types of accounts will be indi- indistinguishable from Bitcoin in a regular account. Mm. So unless someone says that a specific account, like say a company who does this, says that their account is this and you can watch it in terms of like a proof of reserves type situation, mm-hmm. um, then you can know. Otherwise, you can't know the difference. Like, like that's kind of one of the, the nice parts about Schnorr signatures is that it adds a, a level of privacy so that because all transactions look the same, all signatures look the same, regardless of how many signatures go in to uh, what the transaction looks like on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Because right now, if you look at the Bitcoin blockchain, you can do a lot of forensic analysis on um, activity based on what the transaction actually looks like. Uh, with things like Snore Signature, you're not going to be able to do that to nearly the accuracy you can today. Interesting. So like watching that type of metric is, isn't, isn't feasible because there's people, people can either lie about it, not tell you, or whatever. So like you're only going to have a partial view of what that number would be. Although like... I would love to know what it is over time. That'd be great. Hmm. I think I think it's only natural that, of course, Bitcoin's dominance is going to Bitcoin's dominance is going to continue to go down because you could make infinite many cryptocurrencies, right? That's just. It's very funny that the one thing that people thought, like, oh, you know is going to kill Bitcoin for some reason is like making it stronger over time is like, I remember when I very first got into Bitcoin, people were like, Oh, because you can make infinite many cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin isn't rare. There's nothing rare about it. And I was always like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. You know, people made Litecoin, which is literally Charlie Lee himself says like, I copied the Bitcoin code and changed a few numbers. And eh, he made script. He didn't know the other he made script, but uh, they changed the mining algorithm. Yeah. It was like the computers are going to calculate up and down instead of left to right. And I'm going to change these three. <laughs> I'm going to change these four numbers right here. Boom, a Litecoin. Uh, and then 
you know, but that for some reason over time, I look at every time I look at coin market cap, and I'm like, oh, there's nine thousand tokens today, and there were eight thousand last week. Cool. It only kind of makes Bitcoin more valuable over time. It makes the, it's. I don't know. I don't even really know what I'm trying to say. You know why? Why? What do you think? I'm curious as to why you think that that why it makes it more valuable. I have my Ooh, thoughts. That's a good question. Um, uh, the it all distills down to inexplicable irrational human emotion. That's my leading statement. Um, but if I to try to put some logic into it and rationalize it, I would say that maybe just Bitcoin has like the largest network and the most robust like infrastructure. So I'd say. Yeah. I mean, it's like we made digital scarcity, but the only thing that gives it value is the community that accepts it mm-hmm. for things. I would say failing belief in fiat. That narrative yeah, is like, strong. Yeah, but like mm-hmm. the, the, the reason why Bitcoin is the one people flock to is because it's the one that's most used. Like it has that kind of staying power because it's kind of like the catch-up of cryptocurrencies. It's the first one you hear about. It's the one you always talk about. It's when you hear in the news. And because the community is largest, and that's the largest amount of kind of uh, social community around it, it stays dominant because, like I said, you need a community and people to use these things in order for them to have value. I can make digital scarcity. I can make crypto uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah, but if the U.S. dollar was has Bitcoin, value. why would we ever leave the U.S. dollar? There are properties of U.S. dollar or fiat or governments that people don't like. That's the reason why Bitcoin came into existence, right? You can't really forget about that. That narrative yeah, like, is so strong. Well, that's sure, why that community like, started. But that, that's what I'm saying. It's Who cares about what the, what the narrative is? It has to do with the community. That narrative and the fact that it was new, it, it was first and kind of... Uh, around made it used more grew that community the only reason these things have value is because there's a community and then people kind of speculate on whether or not they think that community and demand is going to grow but like yeah, but just being the first and having a community doesn't guarantee success it takes you it, it's still a community around sufficient. garlic coin yeah it but like no one's using it class no using it it's, it's a no market shit coin it. i mean is there a community around garlic coin there is you got to be kidding me. Dead discord. Jesse, are you where they, stealing garlic coin right No, now? I'm absolutely not. <laughs> but what I what I mean is like, you you need the strong narrative, Corey. And like Bitcoin just I, has no, a strong narrative. It. I agree. I'm just yeah. saying like, it's necessary, but not sufficient. If we're doing like the chicken and the egg thing, I think you need like the belief first to form a community. Like that's how religions start. Well, yeah. Like what's a community without belief? Like that's, you need that's a dead person. Kinda, it's, we got a dead person, Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> And you got this belief that it will free us from the constraints of, you know, whatever the bourgeoisie experiences and good words, strong right now in the governments. But I'm so I'm saying like communities are built around beliefs. Yeah. And like like social narratives. And so by having a strong belief system and narrative, then you can have a strong community. Yeah. I'm I'm saying saying that's exactly what I'm saying. The value comes from the community who gives a shit how it grows. That's why Dogecoin is valuable still. Because it has a really strong community. It's got really strong diamond hands for the 101 people that own like 67% of it. <laughs> you guys want to make a, a meta joke token called EGOT and then put the Shiba backwards? That would be such a Shiba bad backwards. idea. 
Like it would work. Put the dog it might work. the other way and so, name it. Egod. Egod. Okay. I, I feel like at this point, we're kind of like just fucking around with money. It's like, what is yeah. money anymore? We absolutely like, are. It's like, that's yeah, what I man. think is interesting about all this stuff and why I like it so much is because like these games that are being played and these conversations that are being had, like, like the one we're having right now is starting to, I think, get to the core idea of uh, how value moves within a community. Like how how people identify what value is in any given community and how that changes based on what the narratives of that community are. And like these cryptocurrencies and tokens and NFTs and all that shit is giving us like raw data on that. Yeah. Do you think we're going to break the system, the current system, or it's going to be so strained that like, cause I mean, they're already coming out with like digital fiat, like China is right. They're rolling it out in June and even I think June or July us, uh, us is rolling out, uh, like was it Boston Fed? They're rolling out uh, some sort of Fed coin experiment on Algorand. Yeah. And yeah, they are. They are. I I think that um, I don't know. The system's gonna break, but I think we're at a time in like human history now where like we can't afford like a massive break. So I think what's gonna happen is it's like it's kind of like it's kind of like the subway system. Like you just stop using one route for a while. And then you fix it all up and then you build brand shiny new routes and then you open it up back up again. And people are like, oh, shit, it's, it's open again. Right. Like, I think that's like a massive system failure at this point is kind of like a species risk. You know what I mean? Species survival risk. So I think that the governments will find a way to just kind of build a new system and let it kind of like how like uh, Zell is basically just like a remarketed newer version of bank transfer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't even know how zelle works do you it's a bank transfer no i like it's, is it still ach oh yeah it has to yeah be. it's ach bank transfer works everyone has it's it just, like, just, why is just it so much faster I, I don't know i don't know what they've done there's, there's there's Andy Andy that's why that's what i'm worrying like, like, why is it so much faster than you know three to five days but you saw like, like you saw it oh it's it's because it's not settled it's it's that's what they're, I'm saying. Like, yeah. So, what kind of bullshit risk. are they? There has to be some counterparty risk that the banks yeah. are taking on behalf of it. So, they have basically rails set up with each other based on the amount of money they're willing to um, assume is good. Yeah. And they go back remember, and forth. You remember when I got all upset on the show like a long time ago about like people are upset Bitcoin is slow because it takes an hour and banks take three to five days on all transactions so like what's the problem here like what, what is that not magnitudes better i feel yeah. like that's orders of magnitude better well that's the thing like the, for the average consumer they don't understand that that nope. it feels instant because i tapped my card and i walked out with groceries mm. mm-hmm. yeah and so they don't give a shit because they have their groceries yeah i know that's the banks are just they're like is if we could do that, Corey, if Bitcoin had that layer on top of it where you could just swipe a plastic card and get your groceries, people would be like, Bitcoin's the best. It, it kind of like, is like that, though. You can't do that. not like, like that? Is, well, it's not adopted. I don't know. How do you get it into the hands of multiple people? Like, where, are you not supposed to show that, Corey? That's fine. There's our visa. Oh, okay. No, that was oh, a key card. That's a status key card. card. But, like, you... Uh, it's so funny. It's like a... Uh, you know what status should pivot to becoming like WeChat, but we, of the U.S. We, we call ourselves like decentralized WeChat a lot. No, you know what I mean. Like, uh, like 
payment like built it like make yourselves like you know Weibo and oh, oh no Alipay oh, and WeChat. Oh, wait for it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like forget about the communications layer. Like fine, just mm, you just sir make it make it money. Very wrong. Okay. Really? You wait, think? Wait. Oh yeah. I'll send you a couple a couple things that okay. will reiterate what I think is going to win. Okay. The, the communication has to be there. Period. By the way, WeChat is a communications app. Yeah. Communication is communication rules. I mean, it is, but like how, how much of it is really like basically Amazon with like an Amazon coin? Like, like Venmo Venmo is a social app, but Venmo is not like as successful as WeChat. Like WeChat and LA are like, China can't demand you pay your taxes in it. Is that, is that how they, is that how they pay for things inside WeChat? They, they, they pay their, they pay their power bill. They you need to taxes. do that. You need to make utility as <laughs> force utility payments through status. That's how we get in. That's how you get in. <laughs> it's decentralized, forceful payments. Yeah. You've got to find some need. Like it's got to become an inelastic need. That's what status has to be. Right. It's got, that's, it's got to position yeah. itself. Like you have to buy baby diapers with status. Boom, baby. Overnight. Oh, that's what you do. That's what, that's what you do when you like, we'll, we'll, we'll be rolling out a lot of community features in terms of how uh, people who own communities or manage communities can, can do that inside of status. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Like you make it easy for people to make content and manage their, manage their audience and community based on that content. And that's why people go because their content creator lives there. Question. So do you know, how much do you guys know about WeChat and Alipay? Like was, is there adoption? Like, I think they have like 60% or something ridiculous, like adoption rate. Is it like forced by China? Yeah. WeChat is forced by China. That's how how everything is done. Okay. You go there and you use WeChat and they watch everything that you do. Because now they have a new thing. Surveillance for sure. It's they're pulling away from, because I thought, I thought WeChat and Alipay are to some degree like privatized and now they're actually rolling out. Alipay is? Yeah, I believe so. That's what that, that's the bit was a Jack Ma. That's, right? that's the yeah, yeah that's there's yeah. a big, I guess, issue between the two of them because you had so much power that the Chinese government did not like. As far I as I to, have read on the internet. I tried to read a book written by Jack Ma only to find out it wasn't written by him. It was a to- terrible translation of things that he said in his speeches. It was the worst book I've ever read. In my life. I was like, did they even attempt to translate this? It would be like, you know, like it was like, don't catch big fish, catch many small fish. And I was like, this is terrible. This is this is terrible. Like, oh, like no, it's like it's like Zen. Yeah. I was like, this is the most I feel bad for reading this book. Um, we kind of bounced around a lot. And I feel like mm-hmm. I still want to be talking to things. I feel like this would be long as we Pick have a topic. Talk. Well, hold on. I think, Tell me about the interviews a little bit, because are we going to play a, like a, an interview, any interview clips, Alicia? Do we have those? I'm assuming no. Not no, right she's now. probably going to type something. Oh. She's anyway, having, tell me what happened. Well, no, we, interviewed Allie, we interviewed Ali Spagnola again. I did not watch the video of which she even called me out. During yes. the interview, she said, you're asking me these questions because you haven't watched the video, but it's all good. And I was like, <laughs> well done, Allie. I was and like, man, so, D, you didn't watch the video in my mind. I wish somebody would have said, D, watch the video for this interview. And I would have been like, oh, OK. Um, but, you know, 
who knows? Is it a mandatory to know what your guest does when they come on the show? I mean, based on our past experience, no. no sometimes, no. no. There's sorry, audience. Sometimes when we interview people, it's like two minutes and thirty seconds before they get on the interview. I'm like, what the fuck? What do they do? Yeah. What, do they, <laughs> what, what do they do? How do they do it? Um, but with her, that was a bad decision for me to do. But it, she was At any selling given that. Time, one or two of us knows what's going on. The rest yeah. of us do not. Yeah, it's, it's redundancy. That's, baby. that's the that's the gist of the Bitcoin podcast. We work uh we work a one of one. What is it? M of N. A one of three has to know. As long as one of three of us know <laughs> who this person is and what they do, we can have a juicy interview. Uh, Multi knowledge podcast. Uh, so uh, she, she, you know, she's selling that in NFT. I think it's currently going for like fifteen thousand. She said, um, you know, she's really excited about it. She came back from the Miami conference, Corey, sounding like a true Bitcoiner. She knew her shit. She was going to help <laughs> us launch an NFT. She was like, "Hey, I can help you guys." At this point, um, it was really cool. Good. Um, it sparked me to go into old OpenSea.io and I started playing around. I created an account. I linked my MetaMask wallet, um, and I will be actually launching a collection of my own soon. Um, thirst trap D's? Uh, not thirst trap Thursdays. That's coming later. The evolution. It'll be a, a morphable NFT. Mm. Um, no. Um, and then got really excited about um. TBP NFTs and it's just so easy um, to launch an NFT. It's not easy to mint them, but it is. They've made it really easy to launch them. And you what's the difference give, there? You mean mint, not launch, right? Yeah. Well, when you create an NFT, it's easy. You just get a you know a, a JPEG. You either do or do not give it features. For example, you can give you can create like characters and you could i could give them attributes like I, if i created us as characters and gave us little cartoon avatars i could have a strength attribute a, a intelligence like looking at the back of an x-men card and you give those numbers right you just give them numbers okay. and then those those get programmed into the nft or you can what, just have a where regular, is this that on OpenSea? on, on open okay. or um or you can have like a um like an art NFT and there's actually different categories in NFTs now. So what's awesome is when I was just saying that off the cuff in that interview, not too long ago with vibe, the vibe guy from vibe, there's like art NFTs, there's gaming NFTs. Now there's sports NFTs. Like they are getting starting to get categorized and grouped and the, the gaming NFTs are the ones where they're basically like all everyone's making their own magic cards. It's kind of neat. It's it's, it would be really a beautiful thing if everyone was making their own magic cards and then this like global Pokemon cards thing of NFTs just kind of emerged from all of this. Yeah, and they were, cool. Yeah. If we had Allie do char- like character NFTs for everybody or as many people as wants them and then we pay her to mint them and we have them all under the TPP thing. And then you can sell like copies of Corey, copies of you, copies of me, copies of Yagi, copies of Wayne, copies of uh, Alicia. Allie. <laughs> Allie, are you watching? That would be Allie, an interesting idea. That would be interesting. Man. And then you and then, limit like, them. Our patrons, our top tier patrons, like we could easily um, make it so that when their cards sell, they get a portion of the proceeds, right? The blockchain would show that their card sold and then we yeah. could just say... 
you just you know? like I, just like tell Hallie like just take 15% of all the proceeds like that's not a bad idea you know we could create little caricatures of all of our patrons mm-hmm. and uh speaking of which you should uh become one oh I don't think Alicia's. Oh, she's yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, you can become a patron. Um, you go to patreon.com slash the Bitcoin podcast and you can become a patron and you might be lucky enough to get one of these characters. We should really do that because she she seems really excited, Corey, at the end yeah. of the interview to do something with us. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's like she's like into it now and she wants yeah. to know more and do more. And then she like she turned the camera to her roommate and her roommates was like, I want to know about crypto, too. <laughs> like I, I, I want this. I want this in my life. And then she was, and then the coolest moment of all, she's like, "I'm gonna go play some kickball, but I want to know more." And I was like, "Kickball as an adult, you're living a life. You're living a dream. <laughs> you're doing something right. <laughs> you're, you're you're doing it all right." Because I haven't played kickball. Uh, shit. If I tried to play kickball right now, my knees would object. But um, anyways, it was a good interview. And then we also interviewed Paul. Paul. Sigma Prime, which I apologize. I wanted to interview the man. I'm pretty sure I sparked that. <laughs> I wanted to interview him. And then I had a surprise occurrence in my real life. I'm a podcast Batman life. And I had to jump out of that interview. Uh, but Jesse, and I was uh, driving from the south of the United States to back where I live. Yep. Yeah, that was a good interview. Paul. Yeah, uh, I, I talked to Mehdi, who's who's one of the co-founders of, of Sigma Prime, and I was like, "Hey, man, you want to come on and talk about that tweet that D just told me about?" And he's like, "Yeah, that? sounds great." It was the uh, they they were, they processed an F one transaction on F two Beacon Chain. Mm. Did See, you I never talk even talked to Paul about that. I didn't even know. No, we didn't even <laughs> talk to him about the reason. That was the that was the only reason D wanted to talk to him. Oh, He'd never man. heard of Sigma Prime before. Like, I'm Life. friends with him. Life comes at you fast. That was the whole reason I wanted to talk to him because they processed. Well, okay, Jesse, what did they talk about? Yeah. So I just had him talk about uh, about Lighthouse and you know basically what that is, and um, I guess the other different three other types of implementations of um, ETH two software, I guess, for running your validator. And so, like, he's just saying, like, there's some in Java, there's some in Go, there's one in, like, um, yeah. theirs is in, uh, what is it? What is theirs in? Rust? Theirs is in Rust. Yeah. Ours so, is in, our status is in them. Yeah. So, he was talking about, um, he's talking a little bit about how he sees their position in the space in the future. Um, what, what they do currently in terms of like 50% audits and then 50% development on, on that implementation. Um, it's just stuff that he's a part of and just, you know, him, him himself, just like, how did he even get into the space just out of curiosity? And then what led him specifically to crypto? It's always interesting asking those questions. Yeah. They're really cool folks. I like all of them. I've, I've met quite a few people from Sigma prime, like personally in real life. And then I've also done work with them. All great people. They seem like it. Damn. Well, you know, this is why you should write down the reason you want to talk to somebody, D. And then, like, I know, man. I know. <laughs> I've done it too. There's, yeah. I mean, shit. We, we did that for Allie. Like, I got her on the show and then I couldn't be there because I was in Georgia. 
Yeah, I know. I should have uh I should have said the whole reason why I wanted to talk to him. Uh but you know, life comes at you fast. So Let's find that tweet. Um so I can't find that. I think uh we're gonna play a short clip of the Alley interview or the um um Paul interview, Alicia. Alicia, I hope one day you become like the ethereal existence that Baba Booey is to Howard Stern. You know, like <laughs> people are just like, what does Alicia have to think about this? What is it? Like you just exist and you, you know. Um, so let's do the clip of Allie and let's save the clip of Paul for next week's round. Were you a part of that? Or are you just like, were you a part of that? Or are you just like, boom, here's my painting and now it's an NFT? I was still on stage and they already had it up for auction. So I don't know the whole process that they did. Yeah, it was crazy. But um, I've done it on OpenSea and it's really user friendly, surprisingly. You don't have to do all the things where you're coding the back end and making it evolve and procreate like a crypto kitty. It can just be an image with like very little metadata that you just fill out like you're uploading a picture. It was a little tough with mine because... The picture's so big, I had to find what would still like look awesome, but be within their limits because I think it's 100 megabytes is the upper limit for uh, OpenSea. Mm-hmm. But and then at the conference, I was talking to um, another crypto artist, Ken Bozak. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Oh, in this yeah, he used to write for us. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We got a deep history with Kim Bozak. Oh yeah. Oh, drama. No, not really, not at all. He's oh, just, okay. He, it was great. He wrote for us. Um, he started. He was our guy, our boots on the ground because we couldn't go to all the conferences all the time. Corey lived in Brazil, I lived in Texas, and he was like, "Hey, I just want to go to these conferences and live off of crypto and write for you guys and share my experience." And he did that for a long time. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to make my own podcast. And I was like, we were like, cool, man, do your thing. And he, he's he's been great. Um, yeah, he's definitely awesome. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. He ran Bozak. So. Yeah, he walked me through how to mint something using wax. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. So. Wax. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm going to experiment with other platforms, basically. But right now I have one on OpenSea. And actually. You know how I made that video? I was like, if I get enough eyes on this, then it'll be valuable. I just looked at OpenSea and like sorted the 19 million NFTs by most viewed. And mine's number seven out of all of them. So at least I got eyes on it. We'll see if that that translates to a sale. (laughs) Come on, whales. Help out Allie. Yeah, right. Help themselves out. I just made a really valuable piece of artwork. They just help themselves to it. That's right. (laughs) That's very right. Do you get to charge whatever? Can't you charge like a, hey, you know, not an auction. This is how much it's worth. Like yeah, five. I think you can set that. I put mine as an auction. So right now it's at five ETH. Like I I'll, I, will let it go for that amount. If that's what the market values my art as, they'll sell it. That's not bad. No, I'm not mad at it. In 14 four, years of work for like 10K. Okay. According <laughs> to the experts, four years from now, five ETH will be worth five planets. So, oh. yeah, hold on. <laughs> no. Well, okay. I'm going to purchase one planet and then put four in savings. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. 
You know, as long as it's enough to get you a ticket to Mars, because obviously it looks like we're going there fast. Elon's talking that shit again. Elon Musk. Yeah. So, you know, we're flying helicopters on Mars. There's going to be a moon base. Apparently, NASA's like, we're going to put a we're going to put a base on the moon, which is something we need. You know. Yeah. And so wake up in the morning, like you know what? <laughs> yeah. If we only had a moon base. Yeah. Like we need it. We need. <laughs> Sorry, I was making myself laugh. <laughs> Jesse, stop letting me dominate the conversation with them. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to ask. Um, I don't know. So you guys Is, haven't minted your own yet? Can I help to, you out? Let so me make a... Maybe it's making fun of you. You can help us. We are trying to make a, a couple. Right now we've got Bitcoin Corey's vision, which is, which is a joke. Uh, it's, it's a long story, but there's something called Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, which, you know what? Don't Let me save you the time, Allie. Never look into that. Don't even Google it. And okay. so we're going to we're going to do a joke called Bitcoin Corey's vision. And I've actually made the different like denominations of money, like pictures. So I've made the pictures already. It's just a big picture of Corey's face with like some fake numbers on the side and a barcode. And then uh, also backstage passes. We'd like to sell backstage passes because, you know, we have a backstage now. There are people backstage right now. Audience. Oh, and you could be backstage and then it's not like a you know Def Leppard backstage where we you know close the interview and then start doing coke and stuff but like we'll close the interview <laughs> and uh, and we'll hang out you guys can ask us questions if any of your crypto desires like don't but don't be that person audience I'm talking to you that like is like hey have you heard of uh wyx token and they're supposed to have a cryptographic excel spreadsheets and like i don't want to hear about some stupid token all right just come hang out with us all right go read about stupid tokens in your own time that's what <laughs> don't bring it into your space well yeah. would you guys ever have a real backstage like tour the bitcoin podcast now that things are opening up well it depends on how many millions our nft sell for to tell you the truth <laughs> there you go so that's the pivot of <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I've always had a dream that we had a location, you know, like an actual studio that was yeah. somewhere where, but that is, that's a big undertaking for us. It's basically like screw all of our personal lives and let's just go move somewhere. And I don't, I just don't see that happen. Right. right. But going on tour, I don't know, Jesse, would you go on tour after, you know, you're done with med school and internship and residency? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. In your free time. <laughs> in your free time. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, Where do you fit in the powerlifting? I know. I try. <laughs> what did you hurt, man? Yeah. So I, I put like, I, you know, you know when when it's like relatively lightweight and somehow you injure yourself. Uh, so like I was, I was, I, I had my belt on. I had, I think it was only four fifteen on the bar, and I was repping it out, but. I wasn't holding my breath properly coming down and I felt something like kind of like slide and kind of click and like <laughs> it feels like it feels like 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 juicy liquid in your back oh, come and I was on. like oh okay I hurt my back <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I was squatting and uh oh, I man. didn't breathe on the properly I didn't hold the I didn't hold my air properly and I was just it, it should have been a normal like you know sets of three and yeah, I messed up. 
Mm. Well, good for you for taking time off. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, body weight stuff now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I can't say powerlifting is smart. It's fun, but it's not intelligent. I'm, yeah. I'm also not trying to live forever or whatever. I'm glad I made it this far. <laughs> Did you go to the doctor, Jesse, for your back? No, no, I didn't. I was just like, you know what? It's probably like a sprain. Hopefully, I'm just gonna let it heal, and have it. okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, there's always back pain now. <laughs> Dude, you gotta do downward dogs. Downward dogs fix the shit out of my. Yeah. Back. Okay. I'll try those. Yeah. Just, just do them every morning. Up. Do a downward dog. Good to go. No, honestly, like from powerlifting, I realized like my joints are not genetically built for this. Like some people have <laughs> thick wrists and just they're thick people. You blaming your parents? Nah, nah, Ali. You 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 squat like I was I was 175 pounds at the time, right? So like when you when you're doing multiple multiples and you're not paying attention to what you do, there's only so much, in my opinion, if you're natural too, right? If you're on drugs, like I mean, you recover faster, you are better. You're you're a superior human being (laughs) while you're on the drugs. But you know, once you come, they make you taller too. You can like grow steroids and it just stays. Yeah. That's 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 attractive. I could I could finally (laughs) 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 just you're now on steroids. They're growing. Yes, as you can tell. I'm six five now. My neck is already faces are like, really? You can grow. Thickening. Uh, I didn't realize the funny story, actual real, the, I, she was joking when she said that. And at the time when she said it, I did not realize she was joking. I was like, really? Hmm. I saw your face. Your face yep. was like, I'm going to grow. <laughs> Take some steroids and grow in height. <laughs> so so I won't be lying on my t- Tinder profile. No. Um, Oh man, I, I forgot how good that interview was. That's, I'm telling you, it's a pretty good interview for me not knowing what the fuck I was talking about. Damn, like I go yeah, in there. Only and one kill of it. us needs to understand what's going on. <laughs> only one, one of three interviewee or interviewee. That should be like the shtick. Um, like we almost force that only one of us knows what's going on. The other two just have to try and figure it out. <laughs> what if? And then one day we get a guest that's like, "Hey, so what about?" Do you guys know who I am? We're like, well, only one of us is required to know, and that show up today. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna kick it. Sorry, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You don't, you don't know who doesn't know. The guy who knows yeah. didn't show up today. So yeah, yeah. what do you know? Yeah. Just wing it. We'll call those so, announcements. <laughs> um. So it was a pretty good interview, but. Uh, there's a lot more things we could talk about, but it has gone lengthy, so we probably should wrap because uh, we've got another roundtable coming at you soon. Uh, so I'll start the shout outs and the wind down. And so let's do the thing. Let's say all. Is this the not things. the roundtable for both Ali and think Paul? So. That's what it says on the title. I thought it was. The title says. Oh, it is. Roundtable for both. Where do you see that? I don't see that. It was in the stream yard. Bro, you need to read. Bro, I only have time to glance. <laughs> yeah, at least you put mega round table. Oh, Come shit. On. Yeah, this is for both of them. So we might as well play a clip for the other guy. We might as well play, we might as well play that clip. Hello, everybody. Uh, you're tuned in 
to the best part of your week. Again, you know, I know it's the best part of my week, so I feel like it's the best part of your week too, Jesse. I'm just speaking for the whole audience here. Like uh, he laughs because he knows it's true. But uh, today we have an interview. Today we're joined by Paul Hunter um, from Sigma Prime. How you doing, Paul? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, man. So a lot of people call you Optimus Prime. Is that is that true or well, do you go by that moniker? Transformer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a question we can't answer. That's something you find out in time. Yeah, we kind of are. I mean, biologically, but I don't want to get Jesse started. But um, no. Uh, so, so who who are you, Paul? Like, how did you tell us a little bit about your background and how you fell into crypto? And let's do let's let's go through the those motions of almost every crypto interview of all time. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So, sure. well, uh, I'm a software developer. That's my background. Um, I started working in. Um, kind of integrated uh, programming, which was a bunch of like doing uh, audio systems, so audio visual systems where you have uh, like say boardrooms um, up to operation command centers and war rooms and stuff like this, where you have, you know, a touch panel and then a bunch of screens, injectors and motors to move them around uh, and the touch panel controls that. So I was doing that for a while. Uh, and then one of my friends, Adrian, uh, so he's also a co-founder of Sigma Prime. He got interested in Bitcoin, um, started buying some, playing around with it. Um, telling us about the math of it. Um, that was kind of the start of the journey. We were both, um, so myself, Adrian, Luke, and Mehdi, uh, co-founders of Sigma Prime. Um, Luke's since left. Um, we were all kind of just buzzing around the scene, just, you know, like dabbling and keeping our day jobs. And then we saw Ethereum launch in 2015, and that really, really got our interest. Um, being programmers, we were like, hey, look, you can, you can kind of write sort of programs natively on this. So... That took our interest. And then in Sydney, where we were living in Australia, we started going to the meetups, Sydney Ethereum meetups, and just kind of writing smart contracts, just, you know, following following random paths, trying to write an optimized cache mining algorithm and just, just kind of whatever popped up in front of us. And then we got a fair bit of interest. And uh, this was kind of during, so this would have been in late 2016. So the, the ICO craze was kind of just starting to, just starting to ramp up. Uh, we started getting some interest in consulting and technical work, so we thought, you know, um, this stuff is pretty wild. It's also, it also seems kind of risky regulatory at the moment, so perhaps we should make a company, um, and then we can also behind that company. And that was how Sigma Prime started. So it started as a, uh, I guess, just a hobby um, for us, but pretty quickly ramped up. We started doing uh, smart contract auditing because a few of us have a background in information security. Well, all of us have. Um, a background in in getting up in things and breaking them, but a few of us had um, uh, a professional background as well. So, yes, yeah, we primarily took off when the um, when the the smart contract audit started, and that's when I started. I moved into Ethereum full time. All of us moved into Ethereum full time. Um, so we're just like writing smart contracts, um, analyzing them, breaking them, popping things, um, and that's kind of how I got into into Ethereum really in in crypto. Um, and then that's how Sigma Prime started. And then uh, I guess we can, the next bit is probably how Lighthouse started. I'm not sure if we want to really go there yet or if it needs an introduction first. Yeah, so explain to me a little bit about what Lighthouse is. I, I, I basically don't know too much. Yeah, sure. So I guess uh, Lighthouse is an Ethereum 2 implementation. So it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a client, we call it. So 
I guess in the Bitcoin world, it's like Bitcoin Core. It's the you know it's the software that is the the fundamental base layer of um, of Bitcoin. But um, in Ethereum too, we have multiple implementations. Bitcoin has multiple as well. Parity did a Rust one, um, but it's a little bit more uh, centric around Bitcoin Core. But Ethereum two uh, is designed to be um, multi-client. So there's four different implementations. Um, mm. They all do the same thing. They're all supposed to. They all actually have to do the same thing. They all interrupt with each other. Uh, and Lighthouse is one of those. Um, we're one of the leading ones. We're pretty proud of that. And uh, we've been running since uh, we, the project started mid 2018. Uh, and we were there for the F2 Beacon Chain launch in um, in December. And we've run, been running pretty smoothly since that. So yeah, it it, it started out of just um, kind of like Sigma Prime. Really, it started out of out of just uh, hobby interest in Ethereum proof of stake and um, just getting around and doing some, some open source contribution. And we saw the specification for Ethereum 2 land and thought, you know, let's, let's write this in Rust because, you know, it's a really strict language. It'll help us understand um, how this thing runs. And after a while, it kind of just evolved into an implementation and got funding from the Ethereum Foundation and a bunch of other places. And we've, we've picked up, um, I think the team must be, um, well, we've just added people. So it must be somewhere around eight or 10 um, people on it full time at the moment. So pretty exciting. You guys are growing. Okay. So somebody, one, one of you guys had like boatloads of Ethereum. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> to really be incentivized. No, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, we had a bit of Ethereum. So a few of us got in, in the crowd sale um, and we did some mining and stuff like that. Um, but I guess the real incentive for me is just the, I really like Rufus sake. I, I like it as a security security property. So I also like its power consumption. So one of the big drivers for me to keep to keep playing in the Ethereum space has been just the big upgrades that are coming for it and you know jumping in there and making proof of stake happen. So maybe you can talk a little bit about um, upgrades that are coming because I I'm I'm for all intents and purposes non technical in the space. Um, but maybe you can speak to some of the upgrades that are coming to fix some of the gas issues that a lot of people are having with regards to using Ethereum. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we um. So I guess Ethereum has a few um, a few fundamental limitations since it launched back in 2015. Mm. Um, I guess the the um, I mean the core problems that Ethereum's always recognized that it has one is that it uses proof of work. Ethereum's never wanted to stay on proof of work, and then the other is that it, it um, that it's like single core. It's a single thread of execution. So every every transaction has to be processed one after each other. So this is like a you know computer with a single core. It can only really do kind of like one stream of things at once. And it's kind of bound to be um, only, only really as compute heavy as one average computer is. So mm -hmm. these are kind of the two problems, proof of stake. Um, and then the other one is the, the like, well, we, we call it the, the problem sharding because the way that we can can make Ethereum run on multiple computers at once, kind of spread out, be multiple cored on a solution for that, we call it sharding. So they're the kind of the two big big ticket items in Ethereum um, scaling. And I guess the gas uh, usage problems is really um, a manifestation of this, this scaling one of, of Ethereum being limited to this one um like one one computer size we call it one c of, uh, of um of computation so there's some a bunch of things that we can do on on current ethereum kind of re revisionary things that we can just modify the current system like eip 1559 and you know start to start to play with those parameters to fix the gas um 
But where Ethereum 2 really comes in um, to assist with gas is when we can get the Ethereum state and kind of spread it out across, say, 64 shards. And then we have um, you know, at least 64 times the, um, the transaction capacity to, to process um, transactions. And then the, the, the reduced demand, the less, less collisions, less, less um, uh, I forget the word, contention, less contention for space. Then, um, then we should see gas prices drop as well. And then on top of that, because we'll redesign the system, we can make it a lot more friendly for layer two stuff. So we can, we can start to get like multiples of those 64s worth of sharding. So we can, you know, go up to thousands of times capacity. So, so yeah, that's, um, that, that's how we're looking at addressing these, these gas problems in Ethereum in the, in the short term with things like EIP 1559 and then in the long term with things like sharding. Interesting. Okay. So. Can you speak more to like, um, for a, for a non-technical person? So Lighthouse is, you said an implementation, um, of ETH 2.0. Yeah. So, so what does that actually mean? Can you maybe break it down a little bit further? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, I guess, two parts to, I guess, a blockchain from, from this perspective. One is the specification mm -hmm. and then the other is the implementation. So the specification is you know, like a set of blueprints and, and a bunch of things saying, you know, it should do this, it should process blocks, it should reject blocks with this condition. So we have this specification of what should happen. And we have the implementation, which is someone who comes along, someone like me comes along and looks at that specification and says, you know, I'm going to get this with a programming language and turn it into a computer program that you can run. And it needs to obey all of these um, specifications. So in Ethereum 2, uh, it was specified by, I guess, initially by Vitalik Buterin. He wrote the first um, kind of document describing how he thinks F2 should work. And then from then it's been refined and refined and kind of moved around. And now it lives in, um, in a, you know, a repository, GitHub repository called, uh, Ethereum forward slash F2.0 hyphen specs. And there is all of the state transition logic rules about block validity, which like who, how to become a validator, like how they should sign things, all of this kind of stuff that everybody needs to obey to. So mm -hmm. a, bit, a bit like the, the Bitcoin um, white paper, but but like very detailed. I'm not sure. That, I don't follow Bitcoin so closely. I'm not sure if it has an exact um, specification like this. I think it tends to to use reference implementations a bit more. But Ethereum too, because it was designed to be multi-implementation, um, like from from the setup, it's really got this clear definition between the spec, which is which is where everything is defined, and the implementations, which all in, implement it. So um there's i guess four primary like active running implementations of f2 now there's flighthouse which is what i work on there's prism there's nimbus um and then there's teku so prism's in go nimbus is in nim a fairly new cool python-esque programming language and teku is in java so they all implement the uh the, the specification and then we all interact together and hopefully we all agree on things so one of the risks with this multi-client stuff is that you have a bug in one of the implementations. Um, and perhaps if you only had one implementation, then, you know, that if that bug isn't too bad, then we say, okay, that's part of the protocol now. Um, whether that's good or bad is, is, is another thing. But when we have multiple implementations, there's none of that. You know, if anyone ever deviates from the spec, then, then we're all in trouble. So one of the other things we do at Sigma Prime uh, is a thing called fuzzing, where we um, have these uh, programs that, um, we hook all the different clients into, into this like, kind of harness, a fuzzing harness, we call it. And then we, um, just spray random input, like kind of structured random input at all of the clients. 
So we spray a block at them and then we see, did they all agree on the same, did they all agree on whether that block was valid? Did they all behave in the same way? Um, and we also kind of read the code, like we have instruments in, in the code to detect how much of the program we triggered with that block. And then the, our smart fuzzing thing will then like try and mutate that block a little bit, throw it to them again, see if there's a difference, see if it explored more code parts, um, and then just repeats that, you know, at just, you know, like hashing kind of speeds, just like, you know, thousands and millions of times a second. We just constantly spray input all these different implementations uh, and see if we can get them to explode or do anything weird. Um, so you're looking yeah. for some sort of edge cases that like break one of the implementations. Yeah, exactly right. And we found a bunch of them actually. I think maybe thirty plus um, mm -hmm. our fuzzers found. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of one of the ways that we make sure we, we keep all the implementations honest and, and working together. How how does that? I guess how do how do they intercommunicate when they're all in different languages? How does that? Is it just because they're all at the end of the day just submitting blocks? Yeah, that's right. We have a it's called SSZ, simple serialized. We have this format, which is what we use to send objects, like blocks over the network. Uh, and everyone agrees upon this format. So I can like turn it into like serialize it just into just like just a bunch of bytes that go over you know, a cable across the Tasman or whatever. And then um, and then the other implementation can pick it up and then they deserialize it into whatever kind of programming language specific stuff they're doing. Okay, so there is some sort of universal um transmission of information. So you said it was SS what again? SSC, simple serialized. SSC, okay. Hmm. Yeah, so they, oh. they um, we've had a lot of uh, bugs in that one as well with, the, with that. And interestingly, just because any any decoding format, um, so that's one of the things that Buzzers has played a lot around with is SSZ, just trying to get, to build these SSZ like uh, byte strings that mm -hmm. behave differently on different programs. So that's, that's been a great attack vector for us. Um, sort of problems there what kind of edge cases uh, are you guys finding like are they any uh are there are there any um serious like edge cases that result in um i guess what what would be like huge issues i guess with like uh to like value being lost i guess out of a smart contract somehow that yeah, would probably be well... a huge vulnerability yeah, totally. Well, we, we, um, in, in the multi client, um, because we have multiple implementations, it's a little bit harder for like one exploit to, to say like ruin a smart contract or something. What we can usually do with those, and what our fuzzing usually finds is places where we can, um, get one of the implementations to, to maybe go off and, and to think something is valid and everything else thinks it's invalid. So we call that forking. Um, and kind of an overloaded term in this industry now, but we call that just like making an implementation go off on a fork. That's one way that we can we can detect that you know its its routines are invalid. Um, another one is one we get a fair bit is just a we can get it to the program to crash and just say like either um, it's trying to it gets a block it tries to to deserialize it but then it can't so it kind of crashes maybe doesn't crash so elegantly and falls into a little bit of a weird state. And then we might be able to leverage that weird state to to get it to stop following blocks or something like this. So, kind of a class of exploits that we're trying to basically take the node offline. So, if we can find you know one of these things where we can just hammer out and take a bunch of nodes offline all at once, and we can cause chaos in the network, and that might you know leverage for another type of attack or something. Um, and then the absolute worst class of these these problems is um, remote code execution. We haven't found anything close to this 
um, with any of our implementations because um, this protocol doesn't lend itself too much. But basically, there's had a lot of problems with this with XML in Java and stuff like this, where you can you can be like on the network, you'd be like, hey, here's 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 a packet, and then it, it reads it, and then through a bunch of fancy trickery, you can basically get it to, to think that what is in this piece of like this these bytes you sent over the network is actually code that it should execute. So then now you're basically in charge of this computer. You can steal secrets. You can, you know, like do do kind of all sorts of anything with it. Um, so that's the absolute worst class. But we, we haven't come close to, to that with this. But, and we did we did find a lot of the other ones, a lot of crash um, scenarios early on in development. Um, but that's kind of expected. Like you know we're, we're building software. We needed we needed analysis, and we haven't. I don't think we found any SSL stuff since we since we hit production. So, so the way that this could like work practically, so if I'm running like an ETH2 validator node with 32 ETH staked, then uh, I'm using your implementation of Lighthouse. Um, somebody could, I guess, send packets of information to uh, my node, I guess, and then crash it. Yeah, that's right. That's the, I mean, that's, that's my, my biggest fear when, when I'm mm -hmm. writing the software and then when I'm the guy trying to find exploits, that's my, that's my dream. So, um, so yeah, that's, how do you get into that? Like, how do you, how is that, how does that become your dream job? I'm just out of curiosity. Well, I mean, for us, I guess, uh, it happened, well, I guess it all, it started for me. Uh, I think Adrian as well, back in high school, the, um, we went to grow up in a place in Newcastle, which is like a couple of hours North of Sydney. Um, and. There wasn't really much going on in the computer curriculum uh, when we were there. So we ended up kind of, I guess, getting into our computer uh, networks. It's, it's um, I guess it's like not, not, not super legal. It's a, it's a different world we are today. But um, yeah, we ended up, you know, just getting in there kind of as kids do, just getting up in there, learning, exploring the network, you know, breaking passwords um, and, and just fiddling around. And I guess that was kind of the first time for me that I'd ever really got into the mindset of, you know, like changing from like, you know, a computer is what I is like, I'm, I need it to do things for me uh, to be like, all right, I'm going to try and do things to it that it doesn't expect me to do. Um, and then I guess from there, we kind of like, I went my own way, it was developing. And then once we got back into smart contract security again, that's when we kind of got into that frame of mind of, you know, like, all right, here's a smart contract. What, what, are, what, are, what are the assumptions that the developers are making? Like, what can I do to it? How can I like, you know, if I pull on this bit, it bends, which means I can like, you know, pull on this bit and that bends too. And then there's some stress over here and I can snap that bit. Um, so you kind of link all these things together. So yeah, that's, um, that, you, I, I that, assume that, you've that. seen the matrix, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you guys are like, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Cause I, I, I see you guys as like, um, what was the dude, the two brothers who like, they used to man the mainframe and then they just like, they would see the code as like, you know, something that they, it, it was it was all tangibly understandable to them, you know. And they're like, yeah, if I yeah, like that's... the way you say that, if I pull on this, if I bend this, and then if I bend this too, I'll get some you know potentially predictable result that may change the system status in such a way that you know I can I can um, exploit that or something. It's just yeah, yeah. Cable Cable was his name. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm terrible with names, but yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like that, I guess. Um, but much much less dramatic and exciting uh, <laughs> day, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we kind of got that in in the company, really. That that kind of vibe. We've got the infosec side of us as well, the Ethereum two side. So that's something that when we're building F two stuff, we've always we kind of have that mindset 
of um you know like you you really need to like when you write something you really need to be just like super strict about it you need to really um like limit all of the kind of edge cases like make sure that all the behavior is is it's like really well defined what you'll do if you do have an error things like this um so that's that's one of the things that we try and bring to i guess our implementation and f2 in general is that kind of attacker's mindset interesting well uh let's see what else about sigma prime have we not gone over or about uh the lighthouse implementation that maybe you want to talk about yeah well like, sigma prime does uh so it does a bunch of stuff for ethereum um f2 um, but it also does a bunch of stuff for uh, smart contract reviews and other protocol reviews, like uh, we've got Near Protocol, we've got FileClean um, reviewing their implementations as well. So there's a whole other side, which um, I don't get onto so much because I'm, I'm pretty well lighthouse focused, but we're out there and, you know, having a go at, at other people's um, implementations always, you know, with um, with their consent and with their best practices in terms of, you know, revealing vulnerabilities and, and not breaking things um, that are important. Um, so yeah, we, we get up to a fair bit of that, um, which is quite fun. Um, so that's not entirely auditing, right? That's just like white hat hacking and like doing like running security fuzzing on other people's stuff. Is that like, what, yeah, where's, well, what's the, is that, what's there is, where's the line delineating the two? Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. So I, I would say, I mean, auditing is, um, is it's used a lot in, in, um, this space. And I think it refers to like an engagement is in like a kind of someone comes like the client comes to you and says hello we would please like a security review and you say yes you know here's here's the scope of it it's like over this many days this is the resources um and then we agree we perform this kind of we call them time boxed reviews um give them an analysis of what we found and then we kind of move on that's that's probably what i would call auditing there's a few mm -hmm. different structures to it but it's like ultimately like a professional services contract um okay them, and Sigma like, Prime does do that, right? For projects? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's about okay. half of the business, at least. Okay. Um, so, and then when it comes to white hat hacking, I would say that that's a little bit more, um, like there's a guy in Ethereum called Samsung who um, has just found all of these um, vulnerabilities in smart contracts. And um, they, I think, it's, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's a he, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll go with they. So they, um, uh, just kind of in their spare time, just go and analyze contracts um, and and then like, you know, find a vulnerability and then, you know, report it um, respectfully and you know, tell them, give them the heads up and then release it over time. Um, so that's like a, a type of white hack, I guess, hacking. Mm -hmm. It's just going, we call it like bounty hunting. Um, yeah. So in, they may or may not get a bounty for it. And then there's like the other type of white hat hacking, which would be, I don't know if you're familiar with the DAO hack. It happened in, in Ethereum while ago I mean, yeah i i'm vaguely aware of it but yeah you can you can bring it back up and then just kind of tldr it yeah so that was there was a big thing called the dow in ethereum i forget which year it was maybe it was in 16 or 17 or something um mm. and it was like big smart contract biggest smart contract ever it was going to be like this robot venture capital firm you know really fun everybody just dove into it against kind of recommendations of, of everyone everyone just piled in uh, and then it was pretty early in the days of smart contract development, um, still is really, uh, back then. And there was a new class of bug that no one had ever considered before. It's called a re-entrancy, basically. You call to another contract, you can call back, and you can break all these assumptions about um, about the like, what the program's doing. So anyway, the, it ran for a bit, maybe a few months or something. Um, and then 
uh, a black hat hacker, so a bad guy, to, uh, found found a vulnerability and found out that they could just slowly leak money out of it. Um, and then everyone was like, oh my God, you know, it's terrible. We're all going to lose our money. So a bunch of chaos. And then this is what we call the white hat hackers. They came along and said, you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll pull the same attack because, you know, it's not limited to one person. We'll start executing the same t attack in parallel and we'll drain out into this, like into our own wallets or to a smart contract. Um, and then what we'll do is, you know, kind of once this is all over and settled down, then we'll figure out a way to distribute that money equally back to the people's shares. So that was like we, <laughs> so you have a black hat got, hacker and a white hat hacker simultaneously draining the Dow funds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's like that's the kind of that was a real like classy kind of white hat move. It's like you're coming in there and doing a bit of hacking, but doing it for the doing it for you know for the, the greater good. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. So like. I'm curious when you when you kind of glossed over the reentrancy um, bug, is that because the uh, the smart contracts were not permissioned properly, or is it like for some other reason? Well, I mean, like all good bugs, it's also a feature. Um, <laughs> it's also so... a feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it was a thing where you can um, so like you you have a smart contract and then you can mm -hmm. you can call out to another one and say okay you know you. You start, um, you do some some stuff for me, and then when you're done, you know, come back to me. Um, mm -hmm. Now, what we didn't realize then was that um, so you got smart contract A, it calls out to smart contract B, right? Mm -hmm. so A is the DAO. Um, so A would it'd like and maybe do some things, like compute some stuff, and say like, okay, I have an idea of the state of the world now, and I'll call mm -hmm. out to this guy, tell him to do something based on that, and then B does a bunch of stuff, and then it comes back, and then A um, and reports back to it, and then A carries on. Um, and the problem here was that it carries on some of these assumptions it made beforehand, mm -hmm. um, and then and, and carries them through. But the problem is that we have no idea what contract B does, and it can in fact go and interact back with this smart contract A by you know some other method and change it. So what we have mm -hmm. is like smart contract A is cruising along, and goes okay, I have an idea of the state of the world, calls out this other smart contract, which calls back to it changes its state of the world, and then the DAO never goes and rechecks those things before. Um, so, hmm. yeah, which is, which is pretty bad. So, like, one of the classic ones would be, like, you know, if you want to transfer tokens out, so I'd be like, all right, my code is like, um, does the person have enough tokens? Okay, then, like, send them the tokens with in a way that I can, that, that, that it can run code if it wants to, and then after that's done, um, re reduce its balance. The problem mm -hmm. with that is that you can go like, does it have enough balance? Yeah, okay, then call it out. What it'll do is it'll call to, to, to pull the funds from you again. And mm -hmm. then because you haven't run that code to decrement the balance, you don't know it's had less balance and it starts this loop. Uh, oh, it pulls okay. up all this stuff and then, then, it, then it disappears. That's roughly the DAO hack. So um, I see. the white hat hack came along did the same thing, um, but, but distributed the funds. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so, so you've been around for the history of Ethereum and probably... A little bit before that too, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting more and more into it. Definitely around for the history of F two being a bit of an OG in that in that sense, I guess. Um, but yeah, being being pretty into it. So where do you um, see where do you see the? Because um, I assume Sigma Prime will probably be a, a big player in this space beyond code auditing and beyond doing ETH implementations. Do you do you see? Um, do you see the intersection of insurance 
decentralized insurance coming and kind of tapping the shoulder of people who do code audits and being like, uh, can you guys improve the way that we audit ourselves or audit our own projects internally and kind of like, you know, expand the ecosystem by kind of leaning on you guys? Yeah, I suspect so. We, um, yeah, I imagine once that people start, um, if the big kind of re like regulatory people start getting involved and they not really have some interest in the, um, in auditors, um, in determining risks and, and, um, vetting people. I just hope that they, um, I feel like, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff is, it's not like audits are definitely happening a lot now. Like we're just booked out, um, like a lot of contracts, most of, I would say most projects are getting audits before they start. Um, but there's not a whole lot of, um, you know, like big players, like say a bank coming along and saying like, you know, I want to, I want to double check that this is sure. I'm just hoping that, that when they do do that, they're going to, they're going to pick up, um, I guess people like us work with uh, people that have been in the space for a long time, um, instead of, you know, you know, like going to their traditional supplier and saying, Hey, you should skill up in this technology. Mike Ernst and Young, <laughs> let's see yeah, what you guys yeah. can do. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't know yeah, about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it takes it's it's just such a different um, such a different computing space. Smart um, contracts, such a different set of problems that you encounter to typical um, programming. Like you do, there there's some similarities there, but it's just the, the way of thinking is, is very different in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, so I'm hoping that they'll when these big players come along, they will they will go to experienced firms instead of just you know like maintaining their existing corporate supplier networks or whatever they would call it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. What what in your in your own words or in your own experience, what makes for a good quality audit? Does it have to be? Can it be purely qualitative, or should it be you know some mixture of qualitative and um, code based in terms of the audit itself? Mm, well, I think definitely something that's I think important for for most um, audits is that. People get in there and write a bunch of tests. They start they start using it. So someone someone really needs to spin up the contract and then start you know submitting transactions to it um, and trying to get uh, I would say get across all of the lines of code, try and execute every line of code and test their assumptions. Um, so one of the things that we do sometimes is we'll um, so like going back to that spec and implementation thing again. Mm -hmm. um, one of the good precursors to an audit is a good specification. So every now and then we get someone. Um, we'll come along and just have a smart contract and say, can you please audit my smart contract? And, you know, we, without a specification to reference against, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it does everything that it, it, it defines itself. So it's perfect. Um, but when we have a specification to say, like, does this smart contract do exactly what this specification says? Um, and is, is, is it clear the link between the two? Not only if there's, if there's obvious break, but is there ambiguities where, where you know, like gray, grayness where we can start to bend things? Um, mm -hmm. So once we have specification and the implementation, um, one of the things we'll do is get someone to um, go through the code, use the smart contract, exercise it um, without having read the uh, specification, and then we'll have someone else might come along and they'll do it, spend a lot of time reading the specification and probably and then a bit of time playing around with the implementation. And then we kind of put these two people together, uh, and then it's quite good because the person who hasn't read the specifications, they're not really tainted by it. Um, so the, the person that's writing the spec will be like, you know, and it does this. And then the person who hasn't read the spec is like, wait, I, I don't think it does that. I, I've never heard of that before. Um, so that, that's a good way to, to, to try and find things. Um, we also find that using tools is pretty helpful as well. So that's, that's the kind of manual review part where people sit down and look at it. 
Um, mm. And then another part which is quite helpful is running tools across it. So um, like trailer bits have a bunch of cool static analyzers. Um, there's a whole, whole bunch out there. Buzzing is another type of tool analysis tool. So we get a program to sit down there and try and run through it, look for common um, patterns, programming patterns that are, that are flagged as bad. And also try and you know, throw some random inputs at it and see, see how, how it handles errors. Um, that's like another, I think, important part to a, to a contract review. You can find a lot of things there that um, that you might miss just as a person reading. You can find them very cheaply and easily as well. Um, so I think a combination of the the human manual review and yeah. um, and then the, the automated tooling is, is probably like a real fundamental for, for a good review going through. Fair enough. Is it important... Um... In, in terms of like the, the soft or qualitative review, is it important to um, look at the development team and to like note that they do have some experience in the space and they're not just, you know, completely new, just wham, bam, throwing something together, copy pasting? Yeah, yeah, that can help. We don't tend to go too deeply into the developers. We'll have a look and see who they are. We generally mm -hmm. find it out during the engagement by chatting to them to see whether like to get, you get a feel for their, for how good they are. Um, mm -hmm. So it'd be like, you know, sometimes you might get, it kind of, it doesn't really hugely dictate it, but it, it does a little bit. Like if, you know, if you got a bunch of just like hardcore contract developers, you know, being in the game, built really big things, you, you, you might like, I don't know, start to look for a different type of class because it's probably going to be a little bit more contracts. So you'd be like looking at, um, like in the math, like the kind of tricky areas of it, um, spending a lot of time there. Um, and then especially if they're developed, if they're, um, well experienced, they've probably run a lot of the tools, so well known tools across it. So you don't really need to spend time like we will do it. It's not you know not not a huge focus. Then on the other hand, if you get you know people that are um, uh, clearly quite new, um, demonstrating not really much of an understanding, then you really need to kind of start you know like at the basics and just try and pick out the um, the, the low low level kind of really important ones. Because um, I guess ultimately with these these engagements, they're, they're time box. So you got got to choose where to spend spend your um spend your hours. So is that how thing. the audits primarily run? They they say uh, we plan on launching uh, hot devil finance. I don't know uh, in in two weeks or no, not that's just too short. Maybe two months, right? And then they they contract uh, out the auditing to Sigma Prime and. Um, what's the turnaround time looking like? Like, is it long enough? Well, yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of the time, a lot of the time we get people who, I guess the, the new players will come along and say, you know, we're launching in two weeks or something. And they say, no, 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 it's not enough time. Um, so you guys do like kind of push back in terms of timelines. Like we need more time to provide an adequate, adequate uh, audit. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the okay. things I understand with, with audits as well is that so we, we generally, we've, we've strayed away from calling them audits, but the, the industry loves it. So we, we tend to do it anyway. Um, what would you guys prefer to call them? Well, security reviews is what we call them. So one, okay. one of the guys, um, so Medi comes from a, like a corporate background in this stuff, and they were never allowed to call stuff audits because audits, at least in the professional services world, it assumes that you have, like, so you can do a tax audit, right? Because um, the, the, the rules of tax are set out and, and you can come along and say, you know, this adheres like to the rules of the, the tax system wherever you are, um, and that you can you can pretty easily say that. Whereas with like a piece of software or a smart contract, 
it's there's no set of there's well no 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 set of rules it can do anything and that's kind of the idea of programming languages so we can't come along and say you know yes this thing is safe or yes this thing adheres to this okay. set out policy because it doesn't exist so um so audit is like a legally loaded term yeah, coming that's from right. the old system okay yeah so if it's... you were like one of the big four consulting terms and you said like you know here's here's your order you probably have like you know, some bloke from legal catching the elevator down to, to give you wrapping across the knuckles. Um, so we, we, we tend to say security reviews. Um, something else that's important as well to understand is that these smart contracts and computer software, they're so complicated um, that it's really, you really can't say that a piece of software is safe or it is secure. Um, and you should be really cautious of anyone that does that. Um, just because there's so much going on, so many moving parts. Um, and there's also, like, you know, with the DAO, there was a whole new class of attack that no one had considered before until that point. Um, so there's things that, like, we're, we're still early, there's still things that we haven't considered or can't, aren't able to consider yet. So um, when we do these security reviews, um, how we structure it is we say, you know, we, 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 we've looked at the, 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 the smart contract, like, here's the risk and complexity factors. Um, we've allocated this amount of time to it. Um, and then we'll give you an analysis of what we found after that. Um, so what we're doing is we're saying, you know, we're not saying, okay, yeah, this, this, this is, this is safe, like rubber stamp, never break. Uh, what yeah. we're saying is, you know, we, we've like kind of, we've allocated time to it. We spent the time on it. Here's the things we found. Here's the recommendations we have for moving forward. And then that's, you know, that's, that's a point of information that you can use, uh, when you're deciding whether you should put your funds in, into it or not. Hmm. I saw on, um, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just, I was just going to say that, um, I saw that when you, when you say that, uh, you've kind of provably to some degree shown that, that, uh, a project is, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it has this level of risk. I, I, I don't know if you can really say anything is risk-free like you were saying. Um, but, uh, when I see like, projects pop up on like Binance's smart chain, which is, I guess, like a complete copy of Ethereum, right? Mm. Um, I see that like, there's just, just people dumping money into new projects just immediately almost. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I guess it's a strategy for them. I'm not, you know, this kind of like really uh, high risk, not well thought out speculative investment is not something that i'm a huge fan of um i think i saw the 2008 gfc seems like that that was kind of what went down there um yeah. and i'm not sure that that's really a productive thing for us to be doing um or whether it's um you know if if, if it's a good thing so I'm, I'm generally not keen for that type of thing but I, I can acknowledge that you know perhaps these people like you know maybe if you have you know like several million dollars or tens hundreds million dollars and you can just like pile into this smart contract and and like if it if it it's if it's a giant piece of crap and it crashes and takes all your money if that's part of your risk model and i can see how that might be a profitable thing for them to do um so i guess i mean you know the uh, i would hope that people that are you know diving into these big contracts have considered the risks that, that they're taking mm -hmm. um and if they consider and accept those and that would be good um but then when it comes to like your everyday, you know, the old ma and pa investors, which we probably don't see 
so much in crypto. Maybe maybe give it like five or ten years, and <laughs> and the crypto people will be having kids. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that that's a really concern for me. It's just the people that don't really understand the risk, and they hop in, and, and it's not good. So yeah, I think for me, generally, not a fan of that. Um, I, I generally stay pretty clear. I don't really follow the Binance stuff. I stay clear of that kind of. Like I was involved in the 2017 ICO rush, so you know, I've, I've, <laughs> you, you know I've what that's like. It. Yeah, I've seen the piles of bodies. I've seen, I've seen all that. The stuff. Piles of bodies. I like. I used. To... <laughs> I call them bricklayers. I used yeah, to be so, one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was as well. So now I'm. Yeah, now I've got my little F F two bubble, and I live in there and live in the protocol with all the researchers, and it's 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 nice in there. That's good. Hmm. All right. So, uh, where do you want to go with this? Do you want to talk about like maybe your dreams of what where Sigma Prime can be, can situate itself, and what kind of projects you'd like to work on in the future within you know the ETH two bubble? Yeah, totally. So I guess I mean ETH two is is charging along. So we we launched the the beacon chain. So that's so how Ethereum structured its change over to proof of stake and sharding is we launched uh, the beacon chain, so a separate chain which is disconnected from the current Ethereum chain. So it's kind of like, you know, you got like building a highway next, like a bigger highway next to another highway. So the current Ethereum is like, you know, like a nice little one-way highway cruising along somewhere. Uh, and then we've built this, you know, real big, um, like big highway next to it, F2. Um, yeah. It's got, we've got proof of stake working and validators. It's like strong, it's supporting itself. Um, and then we're kind of in the process of just diverting the traffic onto it. So that kind of diversion of all the traffic from existing Ethereum to the new one, uh, we call that the merge. So that's something we're working on now. We've got, um, like literally this week, we can expect to see, I think, a multi-client um, testnet where we have, where we demonstrate moving the execution capacity of, of Ethereum 1 over to Ethereum 2. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I'm working on now. Um, that means a lot to me. I think it means a lot to Sigma Prime as well. Um, that'll mean deprecating the proof of work chain. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that, that I've been keen to do for a while. Um, so that's, that's I guess, really exciting for me in Sigma Prime and in Ethereum to see to, to see that. And I guess, I mean, seeing us make such a huge impact uh, in Ethereum and, and being, you know, kind of the, having our code being one of the things that and every time you do a transaction, it runs to make sure that, that everyone agrees on it. It's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, so I think the timeline for that is probably maybe end of this year, early next year. Um, these timelines always tend to blow out um, in my experience. So um, like you, you can know what we're, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to make it happen end of this year, probably next year. Um, mm -hmm. But historically, things have gone a bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, so then what we've done after that is we've kind of, We've, we've got the same Ethereum we had before, same transaction capacity, same single core machine. Now we've moved it over to proof of stake. So we've, we've mm -hmm. fished miners, we've fished the energy usage. Um, and then after that, our next big goal is to implement sharding. So that's where we say, you know, the we implement, you know, additional versions of Ethereum and allow mm -hmm. them to all run together. Um, this thing is probably like, you know, late next year we're looking at, maybe the year after. Um, and it tends to be that we, we've seen the sharding vision refined a few times. Like the original one we had was basically, you know, just what the Ethereum that we have now, but just many of them and they link together somehow. Uh, and then over time, as we've seen like layer two, like ZK rollup chains, um, new technology, new cryptography come along. Um, 
the vision that has changed a bit to be less like you know just just like lots more of what we have now to be like okay maybe um we start to build things so that they're lighter but very well suited to these zk roll-up chains so that you can kind of that ethereum is less opinionated about um the transactions and accounts and stuff like that uh and is more about like a layer for facilitating um you know, like consensus and um and retention of data about blockchains um so that's no, that, that's coming along as well so sorry the whole the whole zk roll-up thing is there any way you can like simplify that and explain it to me oh yeah so this is i don't spend a whole lot of time and i don't have one in the like up my sleeve um mm -hmm. but the idea is that you so Ethereum now, you kind of everything like the transaction, the the state before, the state after, um, all the data you send the transaction is kept in the chain or in 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 the, like your Ethereum node. So let's just say gas, like it, it, it knows of all of this stuff. Um, the transaction it ha probably has to store it in some way. Um, whereas when it comes to a zk rollup, the idea of a zk rollup is that um, it's a fancy new cryptographic system. I won't go into it. It takes a while. It's pretty complicated. Um, but it allows you to do basically, so it's called like a zero knowledge proof. So the idea is what we can do is we can say in Geth, for instance, the, the blockchain or Bitcoin core, we only store just, um, hashes, like hashes and, and a little bit of data instead of the whole transaction and everything that happens, just like hashes and little bits. And then something just updates those hashes every now and then. So from its perspective, it's just a, um, just a bunch of hashes, just all probably linked together. And then we have another program, which is kind of the, like almost another little sub client, um, which manages the ZK uh, rollup part of it. And then what we can do is we can use the S chain, the consensus to agree on, you know, what is the state of this little ZK rollup subsystem and just put like a little snapshot of it up there. Mm -hmm. And then part of the cryptographic magic of ZK rollups is that we can form these really succinct, beautiful proofs to say that, you know, um, just with this little bit of information on the main chain and some knowledge of this system, we can say that, you know, um, this is the account balance of this person. Um, and then what we can do is we can transact inside this little subsystem really quickly, really fast, uh, and then just do periodic slow updates to the main chain, um, to kind of like keep a solid history. So it's, I guess it's like a little bit like a, um, like a plasma kind of thing, you know, it's like a, a little subsystem that can transact really quickly with a very different fee or account model uh, and then it kind of periodically pushes updates to the main chain um so it can run without the history of the whole blockchain then uh so it runs yeah, prune? It can. or yeah, is it that only... yeah you can do lots of things with it but i guess from its little subsystem view it only really needs to know the history of itself um and then you kind of use like knowing the history of itself you reference it against the big heavy main chain with all the validators um, and ensure that, that everyone agrees upon it. Um, and yeah, so that, that's the nice thing is it doesn't need to know the, the whole state so it can be smaller. And the other nice thing as well is that it doesn't need to wait. It can have much quicker blocks. So you can have transactions that are confirmed much quicker, um, things like this. But generally the trade-off with that is you change the, you, you'll change the trust model a little bit in the system. Um, so that you're, you're trusting the system and not necessarily providing, uh, validation. Yeah, so a lot of these things have like systems where it'd be like, you know, you can transact really fast, but mm -hmm. it's possible that invalid transactions might be included and it's the job of someone to, to be a watchkeeper and flag when these things happen. 
So that's that's not something that happens on Bitcoin and Ethereum now. Like there's there's never any valid transaction in there. It's just because we we thoroughly and heavily check every single transaction. There's never mm -hmm. any valid one, so you don't need anyone to watch. Whereas with these kind of layer two solutions, sometimes they'll because they're so quick, we kind of rely on someone else just just double checking them. Um, so yeah, there's like the, the changes in the trust model there, but. F2 is, is really moving towards a world where we can support these layer two solutions because they're going like super fast. We have a stable coin, um, uh, like a bunch of stable coins now running on um, on layer two solutions. Like, I don't know if you know Gitcoin. Um, I know. Is that the one that uh, that you use for donations to the the for Gitcoin grants? Is yeah, that that's for... right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can like send money to developers and heaps of stuff for grants. That all happens on the ZK chain now. Um, so like we, we get a bunch of grants and they're all, you know, like layer two transactions, we're getting, you know, real, and we, and we turn that into, you know, we, we, we go and exchange that for real money, you know, buy milk and with it. Um, so it's actually, it's actually happening out there and it's really cool to see. So yeah, it's going to be one of the future goals of Ethereum too, is just to, to be like really, um, to try and be lightweight, um, and to provide as many features for these, these layer two solutions as we can. So yeah, I guess for Sigma Prime, just um, the Ethereum side of it, just moving on that that roadmap is um, is really where we're at. Um, we want to also keep improving our client. We keep so there's in F2 we got validators they perform duties and get rewards based on how well they performed them. So we're also trying to figure out um, ways to make sure we can do our duties as best as possible, never miss anything, ensure maximum rewards and maximum chain health. Um, so yeah, that's that's I guess where we're traveling from the, the Sigma Prime and Lighthouse front uh, at the moment. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, I'm gonna ask you some of our signature questions uh, as we wrap up here. I'm gonna ask you the first one, which is, is what you do actually hard? Uh, I guess I find it pretty hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, yeah. I would, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, I seems mean, so. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean, I know when I, when I wasn't doing this kind of stuff, I I looked up and I thought, wow, these people that are you know like you know all these client devs, they must be just like these gods of people that are just on another realm. That's that's not the case. Um, it's just every everyone's just like normal people just trying to make it through. Um, but I would say it's hard. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, and then our uh, second question is uh, in ten words or less. Can you describe and then Bitcoin, blockchain, whatever you want to do, like uh, NFTs? We we never touched upon that, but that's fair game. Oh yeah, so describe one one of those in one in of those three in ten words or less. Oh god, I, I don't do the um, <laughs> n words or less questions. I don't I don't have a, a counter in my head. Um, Just give it a whirl, and then we can condense it down. All right. I'll go with uh, Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Let's say a brand new global computing platform. Perfect. Six. Not, not, not I'm not impressed with that one. That's probably on someone's website already. But, <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But uh, I appreciate your time with us, Paul. Thank you for uh, explaining exactly what you do and where you came from in the space. And uh, yeah, I hope Sigma Prime is uh, going to be 
it's, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be set to be one of the Leviathans in this space in terms of Ethereum development. So, so awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's it great to chat. Awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just going to stop it. Nice Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad y'all got into audits. That's a really good, that differentiation that he talked about beforehand is really important because, uh, audits are like conforming to a standard or a law. Mm-hmm. And basically a company coming in and knowing that and then attesting that, they, that you've done so. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so it's like, you kind of have to say assessments here. Like I've always thought about getting these, getting these reviews as uh, hiring additional expertise that you don't have in house. I see. For, a, for about a time. I wonder if there's going to be like a gray and black, uh, well, a white and black area because right now it's kind of gray, right? There's no real, no, uh, not with not with, not with software security. You can maybe do it if uh, there becomes like regulatory and legal compliance on um, types of cryptocurrencies. So, like for mm-hmm. instance, like uh, USDC or Tether or these stable coins that are backed by some fiat. If those start to become more and more ingrained in that traditional financial system, then those will get audited to make sure that they're conforming to the spec, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because they have to. Or like if you pay your taxes in USDT or C or something like that, then mm-hmm. they're going to make sure it, it, it operates as it as they want it to. So we're still in the wild, wild west where everybody's so, just so like software security. Like software yeah. security, you can't do that because the search space of all possible things that can happen in software is so large. Mm-hmm. You can't guarantee things. Like formal verification is useful inside of smart contracts because code is so small. And the amount of things that you can do is so small, you can actually computationally search that space. Whereas like traditional software is so large that you can't have the same, it's not as easy to get the same guarantees. And in some cases, it's, it's, it's impossible. So what you do is you make sure that you look at the architecture, you check it for kind of commonly known bugs, you pen test it with various things, you do fuzzing, you do these different techniques that give you a high confidence that it's safe. Uh, is there like a confidence threshold, like an internal, and that differs from whoever does it to whoever does it? Yeah. So like, basically it depends. Like if your software does a specific thing, like say you're really heavy on cryptography, you're going to try and hire an auditing firm or a security assessment firm that has that expertise um, and a track record of that expertise so that you have a higher confidence that yeah. their results of coming back and say, we didn't find anything are good. If it's like, you know, hire Joe Schmo on the street for give him a bunch of money and say, check for security bucks doesn't know anything because I didn't find anything and you got a review, but it doesn't mean shit because it doesn't know anything. Is so, there like a, like a website that people can go to? Like if they have like, say like you were saying a cryptography heavy project and you know, there's this firm that specializes in that, that they can kind of compare products and services offered by different firms. No, there's not. I wish there was, I started building one kind of like a, almost like a database mm-hmm. of uh, known auditors and their kind of, lean in terms mm-hmm. of what their expertise are. So like some auditing firms are, are run the whole gamut uh, and they just do general security. Some yeah. of them are highly specialized. So like building a site that maintains all information and updates it and is unbiased is a lot of work. Um, but you can like review uh, audits that are like the type of thing you're trying to get or like security assessments for the thing you're trying to get and then find mm-hmm. 
the types of companies that are doing those that and do one that's like acceptable to what you're doing, right? Because like the better they are, the more expensive they are more often than not. And so like if you're doing something that doesn't require that much money, then you can't afford an audit from the best, but you may not need it in some cases, depending on how much risk your software has. This is a world that I live in. So like my job in a lot of ways is negotiating security assessments, understanding what needs to be looked at, and then figuring out who should do it, how much it should cost. How many times can you get burned before you lose your job? Before you establish credibility that you actually suck? As a, as a, as a security reviewer? Mm-hmm. I guess it depends on what you mean by get burned. Because like... Whoever, whoever like getting does a, like security. a security review for like a DeFi project that fails or well, like, you know, ETH. A lot. like there's, there's also like, you can't think of security assessments as a stamp of approval. It's not like I got a review. It's safe. I can launch. And mm-hmm. I have, I, and I now have guarantees that, um, nothing bad is going to happen. Right. That is most definitely not what a security review is. Uh, and is so there like, some sort of like like ruler on the hand, like punishment for auditing firms that kind of slack? And um, yeah, it's kind of like a social reputation. That. But what's what you're starting to see now is actually markets around these things. Some of the insurance companies um, that are that are coming up and and kind of making a name for themselves mm-hmm. are basically allowing trying to build a platform that allows a security assessment to then stake on their on on that platform uh basically based on their confidence that the that an underlying protocol is safe and then they get profit sharing based on how much that protocol does things like that right mm-hmm. so that that way you can have There's a a monetary metric on the confidence of the security ecosystem that a given protocol is safe it'd be then, cool if somebody yeah. comes up with a chain called risk and then just like all if you're an auditing firm you buy risk tokens and then um when you when you say like project xyz wants to get an audit from you you actually have to stake a certain amount of those tokens that they're paying you in quantstamp so like, tried to do something similar to this in terms of their network in terms uh, i'm not sure how far they got with that because they're they're like they're a traditional auditing firm mm-hmm. they do audits but they tried to kind of play with the crypto stuff i think a little too early We'll see if they make something new again. Because uh, what would be interesting is like what uh, the 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 cool thing is like if they fail and audit well fail right if if the project that they audited uh, gets hacked or some something the tokens that they had staked would burn and then every every other auditor in the space that has risk tokens would inherently go up in value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you mean in terms mm-hmm. of like the economics of that. Yeah, F- fine tuning that would be interesting. Yeah. So we we I, we've thought about um, we thought about a, a project at status as a way to uh, incentivize developers to work on security issues mm-hmm. by having like a kind of this this game of uh, putting up bounties and having them bleed in their value over time. Uh, so if someone like fixes a bug or finds a security issue, they can get paid for it as a developer. Something like things like this, like these games, these social games of um, fixing things making pools uh, based on confidence and then um, having those pools fund the kind of... Are you Ender's attention. Gaming? Are you Ender's Gaming? I'm trying to. Secure? That's the That's goal, right? Dope, like you're bro. trying to get people to want to spend more time looking into security issues. Um, 
and be incentivized to do so. And so you need this multi-sided marketplace of people who are saying, I think this is secure. And other people who are saying, oh, you do. Well, let me find a reason why it's not and be rewarded for it. And if you can kind of make that market of people who are attesting to their ability to, to, to state something, and then a group of people mm-hmm. who are trying to vie for disproving that statement, then I think you'll, you can have a healthy like, attention economy on doing that thing. And so if it's security reviews, tried to do then, this and it didn't work? Uh, no, what they tried to do was uh, build, I think, a network. I don't know the details of it completely, but it also, like, the, the, I remember the token funded their, their tooling in some way. So you could buy time analyzing smart contracts with the token. Uh, I want a, a, like a mechanism of like negative punishment rather than just positive reinforcement all the time. Oh, so you like, you like sticks as opposed to always carrots. Well, I want the sticks to hit and I want the sticks to convert to carrots for everybody else. Like I want both. I don't oh. want just one. I don't want you just want, carrots and I don't want just sticks. Yeah. You're a scorched earth policy kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, like, Not only fuck this up. guy, you fuck even more because everyone else is better. Yeah, and then and then reward everybody else, and then it behooves the whole community <laughs> as a whole to just be better. I see what you mean. So like a yeah. redistribution of the wealth, as opposed to like yeah. uh, instead of oh, just burning. That could be fun. Yeah. I thought we thought about those types of things in terms of uh, how that works. Because like we built the, we're in the process of building. We have built the proof of concept for a distri- like a a binary distribution system. Mm-hmm. So like shipping software and making sure it's the right software. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like Steam for crypto, if you will, but like m- m- node software as opposed to decentralized applications. And yeah. and what an interesting part about that is that we'd like to make it such that anyone can post a binary and then the market of that binary basically is the reputation around whether or not that's the correct one or what's a safe thing uh, because it creates a bounty for someone to submit a proof that it's not safe or it's not what it's not what it claims to be. Mm. So like, say for instance, you like status makes the official build for the new uh, desktop application. We would post it on this thing and put a lot of, you know, uh, attestation, like mon- like monetary influence and just saying, this is, this is the one we're signaling is the right one. And if you can prove that it's not, you can have the money associated with that, which means like it, you, you, you build this curation mechanism for finding valuable software and while also like having a, uh, some type of metric of its security. Mm-hmm. Carrots sticks. Yeah. It seems to be just carrots. I like the no, idea of it. Because if it's people. not, if you're, if you try and gain the system, you get found out and you lose your money. Oh, okay. never mind. Okay. Have you guys that ever actively part. tried to, <laughs> have you ever actively enders gamed someone? What, do you what does that mean? That? Well, like you, they think they're doing one thing, but the the entire time they've actually been doing something else. Have 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 we ever done that to people? I've been doing yeah. it to D for five years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what am I being interest gamed on, my friend? Hmm. But oh. what am I? What is the actual thing? Like, what is you're working? The, you're learning about crypto. You're not sorry. This is all. It's the ruse. I've made it all. Is that it? Yeah. Interesting. And I've learned how to, I've learned how to, and oh, I've, I actually worked up the patience to try to learn to code for the 17,000th time. Did just stop recently? 
Yeah, yeah. You're not going to coach. Like, I, I learn a little bit more every time. I learn a little bit more every time. So by the time you're the I'm only like, person that I've ever told in my entire life to stop trying to code. It's so lame. But like, I feel like by the time <laughs> I get to 40 at this pace, I'll be like, hey, I can code. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just like, you know, I have like a, I have like a little. Most you know, definitely will not. Plan D. Yeah. You most definitely will not. You're going to be at this odd, terrible, I don't know how to code pace the rest of your life because the technology moves too fast like me <laughs> it moves too fast you're gonna get to me you gotta dedicate some time to get to the point where you're you, you're capable of learning fast enough to i can up. read code like i can read it i had to explain like, a lot of, of stuff the game <laughs> that's very true mm-hmm. but like for example i was looking at the platforms that i use at work and i was looking at the back end like the code and spec pseudo code i think you get pseudo code like you can kind of i yeah. think you get the gist of what's going on based on kind of uh, standard primitives in coding you know if loop for loop logical statements i talked to paul about this you know when cable is watching the screens in the matrix and uh, Neo sees the screens and he just sees the falling green characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas they see like porn. Mm-hmm. That's where Corey is at. We we see falling green stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to spend a lot of time. It's like it's like language immersion. Like unless you're doing that full time, you're never gonna like it's like it's like me trying to learn Spanish on Duolingo, like just doing it three minutes a day. I'm not gonna learn Spanish with like maximum I- fluency. I've been doing that too. Are you good at Spanish? Well, my teammates say that I am, but I'm pretty sure they're just telling me that. Because <laughs> they want a better paycheck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Corey, though. You really All have right. to like, go deep. I think you'll be... You, that's what I mean. Like the, the What you've gotten to now is based on you doing this for a long time. Yeah. So like you'll get better, but it's not going to be relevant. Mm-hmm. I just need to be able to understand it every once in a while. I don't need to be able to like do it. That's why you have, that's why you have me. It's not my job. You but I, agree point you like, I agree with that. Like you don't need to fully understand it. If I you just have too. an idea, then here's like, the thing about this, like for yeah. managers, uh, managers, leadership, um, marketing people, anybody, I think anyone should understand the concepts of like tech. They should, they should, it's, you know, like you can't speak the language, but if you hear it, you can know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like if you speak Italian and then somebody's speaking Spanish, you kind of pick out certain words. Look, if you if you understand kind of the general lingo, what's really really dumb to say, um, how things generally fit together, it makes you better at your job, even if you aren't like a developer or a coder, mm-hmm. because you're able to speak speak to these people, understand kind of, um, you can you can avoid the the larger pitfalls of what that thing is by having a kind of small general grasp of, of how it works. Mm-hmm. And so it, it drastically increases your ability to like give confidence that you know what you're doing yeah. and like do leadership or, or like talk to someone when you're selling them something All this stuff is, is greatly increased by you having just a cursory understanding of how it all fits together. Hey, a question. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. D. No, so go with your question. So I know lots of computer science majors that never touched crypto because they were like, oh yeah, that's a cryptographically secure linked list. And it's like, it's a little bit more than that, but like, that's how they would reduce it right in their minds. And so they never touched it. Dumb. 
So that's what I'm saying. Like you can have proficiency in, in the thing that is like the progenitor to something being built, but for whatever reason, like you don't have the wherewithal to be like, this makes sense. And I can, by extension, this also makes sense. Like crypto makes sense because I have a computer science degree. Cause I can see what, where this extends to like, why like D is, doesn't have a computer science degree. He doesn't know how to really read code mm-hmm. yet. He is still in a position where he's like, this seems, you know, useful, all this stuff. Well, to be fair, he's taken a graduate high performance computing course with me. So it's not like he's, he's like illiterate. Yeah. yeah. Not a complete noob. Like that, just, like that's like, a that's a course that very few people take. So let's not like completely downplay your inability to do things. I did pretty damn good in that class too. I, pretty, I was surprised. Knew about one to two percent of what the fuck I was actually doing. Just but, looked at me and asked for the rest. Yeah, I, was I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. maybe that's a question to you, D. Like, why? How how are you able to see this being useful? Uh, one, an undergraduate, sorry, mother and father, I smoked a lot of marijuana, uh, which elevated my mind, baby. <laughs> and so I'm sorry, that is not the response that you're looking for. I mean, um, it might, it very, it might very well be your truth. You know what I mean? No, it's, it's just when I, when I actually read the Bitcoin white paper and I, it, it aligned with, I had a hell of a time with foundations of algebra at undergrad. Mm-hmm. And the biggest hell of a time that I had with Foundations of Algebra was with um, uh, modular arithmetic. And I was like, oh, okay, so this just blows everything away. Like any number can be any number as long as I give it (laughs) the modulo that I want. Like I can just create infinity from thin air. And then that coupled with that same class, Corey took, I realized like, oh, computers run on a certain number of calculations and things are just probability. Right. These are just probability at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, if I can prove probabilistically, if that's even a word, yes. that it that is. things are actually unique and there's no way computation could ever, ever catch up with any sort of uh, what's that specific word they use uh, in cryptography? Is it a, not a conflict, but um, when two things are identical or like when you have the same hash, when a hash equals Collision. the same Collision. Like if I can probabilistically prove that there will never be a collision, then there will never be a collision. Right. So I do have this digital uniqueness. And so because I have a code, more of a math. Yeah. Yeah. Less of a code, more of math. It was like, oh, probability states. Therefore, it's true. Just like, you know, you're the probability of you having a collision is so much smaller than the probability of you winning the lottery. You could play the lottery and win the lottery quicker and faster more times than you could ever have a collision uh you could win the lottery a million times mul- or yeah multiple still have less <laughs> and so you know when you think about those numbers and like how computers are actually just doing these flops at the end of the day i was just like oh okay this all makes this all makes perfect sense to me yeah it's gonna work yeah and so he had that intuition after yeah. i had shown him the white paper and it's like and he, like and he came back to me one day and he's like bro how does this work? And so we spent hours on whiteboards where I tried to explain to him the technical yeah. part of how it all fit together and why it did the things that he was excited about. Yeah. We ran through that again. Yeah. The white paper and what the, just the, what the header, whatever it was called. 
Yeah, it's the, the the white paper. The Bitcoin white paper is magnificent. I know the less than one percent of one percent of you who are listening to my uh, this show now uh, and will listen to this show in the future will ever actually read it. But it's marvelous. It's really short. It's really easy to read. Yeah, it's like nine pages. I think it's like it nine even pages. says blockchain. <laughs> nope, it says blocks of the chains of blocks. This is a chain of blocks. Never says blockchain. Um, you know, it is short-sighted looking at how things have evolved now, but that's... Misha says 11 pages. You know, I think that's any simple... It's 11 pages? Oh, okay. Um, my bad. Aren't the last two pages like references? Probably. No, there's there's not many references in this, I don't think. No, no, no. Anyways. Maybe half a page? It's not a long read and, you know, but that's... I think any great tool, you don't really know what it's going to become, right? Like, like uh, what's his name? Tesla and Edison, not Edison so much because now the longer the older I get, the more I learn that Edison was just kind of a bitch with a lot of money behind him. Mm-hmm. And Tes- Tesla was the real G. But like electricity is soon, like before I leave the earth, is going to be powering all things cars, like planes. It's going to be doing all the things, you know? So, you know, something starts small, you never know how it evolves. And that's the same with Bitcoin. You know, 11-page white paper is now turning into how many m- thousands of a hundreds of pages. Oh, I love seeing that. I love seeing that, Alicia. What was that? I was, I was correct about it being how many pages? Nine pages. Nine, baby. No. Um, uh, it's just interesting how some people are trained to see certain things and then they can't have the foresight, but then some other people, they can't see it. Even if they do have the training. Oh, if they have the training. Yeah. There's some, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's weird how you have to have a perspective on something you need. You need not only the wisdom or like not the wisdom, but like Mm -hmm. the information Mm -hmm. you need the wisdom to process that information in such a way that other people aren't doing it. Yeah. Which comes usually comes from experience and kind of, uh, growing up under a certain culture. What do you guys think about um, this? Is like s- side. Oh, go ahead. I was also going to say mm-hmm. um, Bitcoin also tapped into me at a very financially vulnerable point in my life. Right. Me too. Uh, banks me had too. taken. Banks had uh, done. Uh, you know, they'd given me non-consensual sex in the rear with a pineapple <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, in fact, while I was living with Corey, I couldn't use my bank account because they had fucked me so hard with fees. So I was going to those check cashing places, which were also fucking me with fees. Mm-hmm. So it was so banks had done a number on me. So that was one thing. Two, I was in astronomical education, like student loan debt. Mm-hmm. So I was in this sweet spot of, well, fuck it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm either, yeah, I'm either going to be super broke and poor for the rest of my life as a teacher, or I can learn this new tech and take a big risk and get all into it and see what happens to my life. And that was, you know, you got to be in that sweet spot of financial vulnerability. Because if anybody in my spot actually wasn't in debt and had money, didn't care, they would have never given Corey the light of day. I would have been like, bro, I'm good. I don't need, I'm good. Look, that was I your first, it. that was your first response. It was. That's, that's was, interesting that you say that because I, I, people who are well off that didn't make their money from crypto, I can see that like whenever you talk to those people, they ask you about crypto, but then they really don't care. You can see care. that they really just don't care because it doesn't matter to them. 
Exactly. They don't have to care. They're already winning in a system that works. Why yeah. do they need to learn? Another? I wasn't. I, w- I didn't come from a financially vulnerable position. I came from a purely technical one. Well, I'm, I I'm from both. in my experience. Uh, I wanted more money, but then I also had the tech background to be able to go through the white paper and be like, okay, I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I, and I didn't listen to like all of my friends, all my friends are engineers. None of them except one had exposure to crypto. And what's he, interesting is that like, yeah. it, it, it's not just the, uh, the difference, I think the difference between you guys or what, what people would consider successful people is that uh, when they were in a financially vulnerable position and they wanted to do something about it and they decided to lean into crypto, I, th- I, th- I think the ones that are going to be successful in the long run are the ones that are putting in work and not the ones that are just like buying and hoping and not learning anything. Like mm-hmm. the people who are spending their time understanding this ecosystem, the technology, the people who are using it, how to do it are going to be tremendously yeah. bit more better off than the people who are just buying something and then going about their lives, hoping that it fixes their issues. Absolutely. That's that. I could even echo that even personally, like most recently I was on vacation in New York, quote unquote, like I'll throw that in quotations vacation, but I spent a good amount of time when I wasn't with my girlfriend's family in the hotels, learning about open sea and NFTs, because it's obviously something I need to know about. It's obviously something that, yeah, if I took advantage of and did well enough, it could probably change my financial livelihood even more if I did it right. So I learned about NFTs. I got on OpenSea. I learned about Mintable. I learned about Rarible. Uh, I figured out the different types of NFTs. I figured out why I'd want to structure different collections of NFTs. Um, You know, you got to learn. You got to, you got to like, you get out of something what you put into something, right? Point blank period. So if you're just on cruise control and crypto, you're going to cruise yourself into eventually selling off all your tokens for dumb shit. And then looking back (laughs) at like, like, damn, I had all that ether and I bought. I don't know. Was it? I I don't want to talk about things I bought with crypto. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. So anyways, let's, 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 um, Let's wrap it up. Join, become a patron, please. Uh, please show this. This is something I really don't do calls to action a lot, but show this to Ali Spagnoli. And hopefully she sees Spagnola. it. Spagnola. Yeah. Spagnola. Damn, that's bad. Edit that out. Or don't. You know how nope. we roll. Nope. Show that to her. So so maybe she takes that idea that we have and we can mold that with her community and ours. And we have like these uh, rare collectible nfts of our patrons um and then as patrons we could just look on the blockchain if it's sold we'll just give it to you we know you are there's only like so many patrons right like (laughs) it's not gonna be like we know you are we'll sell we'll give it to you and then you know for those of you patrons that are listening you're like cool for those of you that are you'll just get some money one day Uh, you know we'll say go here click this get the money shut up uh, <laughs> you know that's how it'll go. Oh, it'd be uh, cool if you collect all like one of all the characters, then you get like farming access, like TBP farming somehow. TBPs, man. TBPers, 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 TBPs or TBPers. Which one's better? It's got to be peers. Might be cooler. I think peers is young kids. 
No, not that no. The young whippersnappers can use their own fandangle language. Okay, I just, then. I really love the idea of us hopping on Avalanche where it's dope to do NFTs and having like airdrops, water drops, just changing the game. Fire like, drops. Water we're, drop? only, we're 100% doing fire drops. Flaming we're Conchitos, fire. fire drops. We're dropping fire. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, Join the Slack. Go to thebitcoinpodcast.com and join the Slack. If you can't do that, you don't deserve to be in the Slack, okay? If you cannot follow those steps, we don't even want you there, okay? <laughs> Go to the BitcoinPodcast.com, find the button that says Slack, click it, <laughs> put in your email, and you can join the Slack. If you can't do that, please fuck off. Okay? You got to check your email after you do that. Yeah, yeah. If the steps are there. Please follow the steps. Um, please, uh, that takes us to YouTube. If you scan that, you'll get to our YouTube page. You can, like, you can subscribe. Um, and you know, we're, we have a thing going right now. We're trying to do, put our own little personal swagger. Uh, after we hit a thousand subscribers on YouTube, we will give 100 bags of family size flaming hot Cheetos to one of those subscribers. Uh, I think that's like, that's enough calories to to feed you on Mars for a while. So like that's a lot. <laughs> so oh, yeah, it's it's, a, it's it's we're choosing too. It's going to be random. Yeah, and you're not going to want it. Well, it's actually ninety nine hundred ninety nine, right? Because uh, well, it's more like nine hundred ninety five. You take us out of there. You take Wayne out of there because Wayne recused himself. He said, "I I do not want the Cheetos uh, because I'm already." A hundred dollar tier patron member, she's super duper. And then, um, what else? So, what else do we do? Uh, let's just go ahead and do shout outs. So, shout out to you, audience. Uh, I really don't do this as often as I should, but for you guys to hang in there with us from 2015 <laughs> to 2021 now, and I can say things like, you know, you guys have been kicking it with us for six years, it's pretty dope. Uh, shout out to Meg the Stallion because she's just look at her. Shout out. Well, she is a stallion, my friend. Not to like, we're totally not. Uh, what's the itemizing? Objectifying. Objectifying. That's not her stallion. name is Meg the Stallion. If I call yeah. her stallion, I don't think we're doing that. Yeah, I don't think. We're, uh, this is uh, Lori Harvey <laughs> right here doing her thing. My finger, it's hard to point opposite. It is. It is. So hard to point in the opposite direction. Uh, um, you gotta be like, you gotta start. Muscle. Okay, that's the right way. Control yourself. Muscle. Use your other hand. Oh, yeah. That's easier. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Gabrielle Union, uh, also known as Sid from Bad Boys 2, also known as Sid from LA's Finest, the Bad Boys 2 spinoff. Actually, a pretty good show. Got canceled probably because it's not a pretty good show, but maybe I just like Gabrielle Union and I favor her. Uh, shout out to Michelle Obama. Your book is doing magical things and you will too. Please run for president, please, please. Uh, shout out to old wide-faced Zoe. I saw you in Drumline, girl. You're back on HBO. I saw it this past week and you did your thing. You had like three scenes, but you did your thing. Shout out to her. Hold up. Don't, don't, uh, don't stop the show. I want to shout out to Young Humma, the rapper that it looks so much like D that his mother did not know the difference. <laughs> we should get a picture of Young Humma. I'm, I'm, I'm about to. Yeah, you're going to load it up. I'm there. opening it up right now. 
This, this is the one that this I was is thinking big about. enough. No, it's not that one. That if we get him on the podcast and then have God, D talk to him. Turquoise Jeep on Young Homo. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll, I'll pull this one up. This, this is big enough. Oh, hell yeah. That would be exciting, D. You get to meet your like, alter, ego. alter ego. My doppelganger? Yeah. Yeah. I That's die. Not... My screen <laughs> dies, then sorry. Jasmine, t- you don't have to share your screen. Just load it up in the brand section and then click it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we wow. can't play it. Yeah, I'm not going to play it. That looks a lot like me. Go watch, go watch Let Me Smack It <laughs> from Young Hama and then know that his mother did not know the difference between him yeah. and Young Hama. He's like, she's like, I did not know you had time to be doing yeah. music videos. And he's like, that's Which not is- me, mom. And she's like, yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Which is a mom way of saying, motherfucker, you're in school. What are you doing with your life? Like, that's the momest way. Like, she's like, oh, look at you doing music videos. You have so much time up there in college. Don't you? I was like, shout out to Michael B. Jordan for being a generally awesome bro and pulling Lori Harvey. The man is going to propose soon. It's looking that way. Yay for black community. Uh, Shout out to, uh, I think that's all of them. Yeah, that's all of them. iTunes reviews. Give us five stars. If you're not thinking about giving us five stars, you can do what, Corey? Go fuck yourself. All right. Play the outro. 